Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. With your host, Mr. Can't Get Past Level 1 in Any Game, Stevie Stroh. All right, Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to 2019, the first new Coco Talk episode of the year. And it's going to be all downhill from here, <laughs> but the uh, the cast has been gathered. This is no longer dress rehearsal. We are doing it live, and we have amongst us uh, many peoples. I will start in the lower right-hand corner of the screen going counterclockwise. Uh, we have from Boyson Technologies, Mr. Richard Lorbieski is with us. Hello, Richard, and Happy New Year. Hello. How are you doing? Happy New Year to everybody. And same to you. From down under, the thunder, Mr. Nicholas Morentes is with us. Good day, Nick. Good day, everyone, and happy new year for me, too. All right. From O Canada, not one, but two people with the last name of Moore, we have D. Bruce Moore and Jacob Moore with us. How's it going, eh? Good. Happy new year to y'all. Yeah. All right. Happy new year. We have from sunny and arid Arizona, the celebrity star booker himself, Mr. Ron DeVoe is with us. Yeah. All right. Pearl the dog. We have, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Are you muted, Mark B? Did you? Are you self-muted? Sir Mark Bosley is with us. Hey, Mark, how are you? Hi, pretty good. All right. And now we have uh, our third Canadian on the show at this point in time, uh, keeping those foreign relations going. We, we have L. Curtis Boyle. Hello, Curtis. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. I'm wondering who replaced Richard Lubieski with somebody who's actually pleasant to talk to, because that doesn't help <laughs> well. And, of course, we have more of more, because we have two of them. More of more. Lisa, what, have... the, what the heck are you talking about, I'm not pleasant? <laughs> there we go. That's the Richard. There we go. How come you don't have the dumpster fire picture on? <laughs> I'm, I'm, it, it's a new year i'm trying to be nice Damn. oh there you go that's his resolution right yeah okay. it lasted 30 seconds congratulations yes <laughs> uh, joined by the coco cat mr mark overholzer is with us hello mark howdy glad to be here all right glad to have you we have with us wearing his fine fedora hat mr james diffendaffer is here happy new year everyone happy new year and last but not least we've got twins for the center square but John Strong of Strongware and Rick Adams are here. Happy New Year and hello and good afternoon to you both. Hello. The Christmas tree is down. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and John is here. John Strong is here. John, I think Happy you're here. Oh, there you are. There he is. Hey, Nick's had been a new year longer than we have. Yeah. Yeah, that's Nick, right. Nick's in the future. Yeah. So, uh, Does anyone know how Steve Bjork's doing? Yeah, he he, he, he was, was on Discord in, today. He was in Discord today. Okay, so, he sure was. Yeah. yeah so does, does uh, that mean he's doing okay? I'm not here to, I'm okay. not qualified to make that statement, but oh, we okay. heard from him. That's so. cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. So 
We have in the live chat, who is out there? L. Curtis Boyle was there. Al Hartman is in the live chat. Paulie Fiscarelli is in the live chat. Uh, Mark Overholzer. Ken Reichard, Ken, Ken Make It says, happy 2019. Would say three months of writing the wrong year in checks, but who writes checks anymore? <laughs> uh, uh, Nick Marota is here. Nick Marota, Nick Marota, Nick Marota is here. Al Hartman. All right, so hi, guys out there in the live audience. Thank you for being here. It's Tim Franklin is here, too. Hey, Tim Franklin, how are you? It's a new year. It's 2019. Um, I predict this is the year of the cocoa for sure. There are so many things on the horizon. Trina Kay has been here. Curtis's significant other. Before, I wasn't sure who Trina Kay was. I thought it was an <laughs> yeah, alias we, or something. I kind of a couple subtle hints, but they kind of went by. Okay. Yeah, all right. So Trina Kay is here. Really is alter ego. Have we ever seen? <laughs> yeah. Well, we, well, well there is. We have. <laughs> on Facebook, they we've seen pictures. Oh, on guitar. Facebook. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah somebody excluded themselves from Facebook. I guess you miss all that stuff. But. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. So we're here. It's another year. We got a lot to talk about. I got a lot of things queued up that I've been um, pulling off of Facebook. Things that are going on. Um, before we get into what other people are doing, does anybody here in the panel have something to mention as far as what they've been doing? Any type of project updates, acquisitions, anything like that? Yes. I've been doing absolutely nothing. It's been great. Excellent. <laughs> uh, Mark D. Overholzer has. Uh, slightly Coco related. I met up with uh, Wayne Campbell down in Los Angeles. Ah, yes. We saw that picture. All right. Yes. Very so, cool. How did the meeting go? It went great. He, did uh, you guys have it? anything... You wanted to share from your discussion, or? Yeah, not a whole lot. Well, uh, first off, who is he? <laughs> oh, okay. Wayne uh, Campbell's been on. Uh, he's been on the show a lot in the past. He's been on Discord. He's the guy who was. With, what's the decode that he did for Basic Nine? Yeah, he does the decompiler for Basic Nine. Uh -huh. um, yeah. He's been helping on some of the stuff with Nitrous Nine too. So. About the he's going to be doing some documentation for the EOU project as well. Mm. Cool. Okay. Yeah, he's still driving for Uber. So anyway, uh, so he's hanging in there, but hoping things will get better. Excellent, excellent. And what brought you to L.A.? Oh, uh, well, I had a chance to go with uh, my uh, girlfriend, Tina. She was going down with her friend, going to Disneyland and stuff. And so my son's down there as well. So uh, I went down and visited him and met up with Wayne and a couple other people and had a cool. time away from work. Yeah, we've got a nice little cocoa consortium in California. Tim Lindner's out there. There's a bunch of people on the West Coast. So Mikey's out there. I know California's a big state, but Steve I'm sure... Steve Bjork. Bjork, yep. There's also uh, uh, Capolini, Tony Capolini, I think. Tony Capolini. Yeah, yeah. Most, most of them are in the San Jose area, but Steve and Wayne are down in, in Southern Cal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert Sieg is here. Jason Downs is here. Um, if you guys want to join us on the call, feel free to join us on the call. You should be able to get the um, Zoom link from Discord if somebody wants to post a Zoom link in the live chat. I got some stuff to show from Robert that he's been posting some cool pictures on the MC10, some image conversion type stuff. Um, he's become the sock master of the MC10, taking uh, like BMPs and stuff and putting them up on the screen. It looks pretty cool. So we're going to see the official Donkey Kong in the MC10 too? Then? Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't that be something? Um, anybody else have anything, any updates and stuff they've been working on? Or Yes. Um, John Strong of Strongware has one. Hello, yes, John. Yes, we were doing, uh, last time it was on After Dark, we were working a joystick. We got the bottom piece designed i've got to just wire one up uh and doing some other projects in the meantime with that uh 
actually figured out a way to uh, do the dual joysticks uh, very simply. I've got the parts in that just came this week. So I will have a switchable uh, splitter or shearer or something designed for the joysticks. So you can plug two in and select which one you want to play with. So you don't have to unplug them. Oh, neat. So if you wanted to go from like an arcade stick to like a Black Beauty, you could. Yes. And I do have my uh, analog uh, a stick ordered. It's, I'm still waiting on it to get here from China <laughs> and uh, see if it's going to work. I think it's going to be more in the Black Beauty size okay. rather than the craft. But uh, we'll see when I get it. Did they put it on the slow boat from China when they sent it to you? Well, yeah, that's always the case. You never know how fast it's going to go. <laughs> and as it comes to customs with the government shutdown, who knows what that's affecting it. Ah. Are you planning on doing a left-right switch, too? So if you have a game that wants you to use the right joystick and a different one that wants to use the left, that you can just switch between those instantly without it? Been- oh, that would be cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, yes, I've thought of that. Okay, and uh, I've been trying to think how to, to position it in here. I'm not- uh, yeah, my wife's calling. I'll be back in just a minute. She All right, sounds needs good. Me for something. I'll be right back and explain that. i got some more details on it. All right, well, while we're doing that, we'll continue to go around the room then. Anybody else got any updates, things they've been working on, projects, things they saw, things they bought, things they want? Uh, I've got an update to uh, Gunstar, so I can do that during uh, core dump. Excellent. So when we when we take our dump a little bit later on today, we'll we'll include That's that. Right. Make sure that gets in the bowl. Well, by that point, we're all ready for a dump. Yes. <laughs> oh, wrong button. Sorry, that we'll one. Make sure was we the, flush that story out later. Yeah. yeah, that was the same color as as this button here. There we go. So that's the dump button that we're looking for. All right. So we're gonna dump it out. Um, uh, James Diffendaffer, have you optimized anything lately? Nothing lately. <laughs> You're the same as me then. Just take a break. Status stuff. quo. I'm working on something else, but uh, it's not ready to do anything with. So. Hmm. Well, my my main accomplishment was for Christmas, I got the new Tomb Raider game. My wife got it to me. I spent probably 40, 50, 60 hours on it, and I completed the entire game. And I can now put that on my resume. So. <laughs> oh, so you finally beat the boss, huh? I beat it last night, yeah. Yep. Played through to the end. Fun game. Hey, Mr. Mister Potty Break himself, Grant Leedy, has just joined us. Hello, Grant. How are you? Hey, guys. How's it going? I'll try yeah. not to pee on the show today. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. When, he was when trying the du- to put out the dumpster fire. Yeah, I was going to say, when the, dumpster, when the dumpster's on fire, you got to put it out any way you can. So. <laughs> Pick one for the team. <laughs> uh, Bill I Noble. I did that. <laughs> yeah, Bill Noble has just joined us. Rob Inman's out there saying, "I love when Steve hits the wrong button on the soundboard." <laughs> on the Bill rare Noble. occasions, it works. And uh, yeah, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, so, what's new with you, Grant Lady? Uh, not much. Just uh, out enjoying the nice weather today and doing some traveling here in Kansas and Missouri. Ah, nice. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And we'll hear it when you get to the truck stop, or what? <laughs> yeah. No, no, I will definitely make sure that it is muted this time. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, I don't man. have promises, an... Promises, promises. Yeah, I don't have an immediate pro, pro, 
project or product update, but what will be coming in the near future is actually, so one of the things I'm going to be doing soon now that I have a little bit of money is I'm going to be sending my TDP 100 to um, Richard Lorbieski to get him to socket it for the VDG, and then I'll order the Coco um, VGA from... Um, from um, um, blah blah blah, Brendan Donahue, and have have Brendan send it to um, to him, and so hopefully you know that can be ready, and uh, things go well. I'm at Tandy Assembly or uh, Cocoa Fest. I can get it then, if not sooner. So that is kind of cool. Um, and then I'm going to show you just one other thing because I got an email today from. Why is it doing this? But anyway, so remember last time we were on and I said, you know, if anybody wants to know what to get me for Christmas, I would love one of those flight sticks, the, the Tandy flight sticks with the thumb on top and stuff. We were showing those off. So Dan Loyal found one on eBay and, and he just sent me an email today saying, I found it and I have it sent to you. You'll have it in January, by January 12th. So Maybe. that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, the flight stick. Yeah. So thanks, Dan Loyal, for sending me that. Um, and when I get that, that'll just be cool. That's kind of like one of the few things I have on my wish list for the cocoa that I don't already have. So that's going to be kind of cool. I forgot. I did have one minor, very small update. I actually added two games to the game site yesterday and today. So, okay. First and what are those? What are they? Um, one of the Q-Bird clones. Was it Q-Man or was it? I was going to ask you about that. That's, that was, that question came up today about Q-Man. Yeah, and the other and so. one was Jubilex. I finally put that one on. Oh, Okay. Neat. So, a couple of updates to the games list website. So. Since we're talking about um, Nitrous Sunai, we are. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, when you bring it up, we are. There's uh, um, OS, OS, OS term. Is that a possibility to have it work on Nitrous Sunai? How to... uh, it did back in the day. I haven't had a chance to try it because I haven't got to the serial driver stuff, but it should work. Is it is it something where you, you put the disk in and then transfer it onto the hard drive or? You know, yeah, or to, I, it might actually be on the EOU already. I can't remember if I have it on there. But yeah, it was one of the better terminal programs back in the day. It supported X modem and Y modem, and it uh, actually had a host mode, so you can actually host your own mini BBS if you want to put files up for other people to come and download. It would actually do all that too, sysop chat. Well, I'd like to kind of try it out, but I'm not sure how to find it or maybe... Yeah, I'll have to check to see if it's on the EOU, but it's just you just type OS term to run it from a window okay. and it's fired up. Okay, good. And then should it be able to do like Telnet BBS stuff too, or is that a special thing it that would have to be? just standard RS-232, so if, the, if your Telnet's already set up to be, you know, accessible from OS 9 as it is, then it should work fine through the T2 port. It is hard-coded for T2. It does hard-coded for an RS-232 pack, I should mention. Good. It works in the Bitbanger, possibly not DriveWire either. All right. I'll on those it. wireless ones like uh, David Ladd was using, then it should work, yes. Okay, so and then um, Richard Lorbieski just posted in the live chat how to do a peak to turn off uh, print peak. Um, print peak and HFD01 colon turn off the two megabytes. Yeah, and then I think Bill Noble might have been answering. Go ahead, Richard, sorry. Oh, yeah, that's how you uh, put your uh, boomerang in 512K mode via software. Okay. Do you have to do a read of a memory location, not a poke? Yeah, you can do it that way. Okay, no, I was just wondering because you, you, you can set a poke. Because so. when, when you do a print peek, you're just basically saying, show me what's in there. You're not oh, changing anything. Yeah, okay. 
Uh, let me look at the other one. There should be a poke. Like, Put you back. Like, so you want to print it to see what it is, and if it's got a certain value, you want to poke it with something else? Right. Okay. So, so. has anyone tried doing that and then trying to run DK uh, Remix to see if that works correctly then? Uh, we haven't tried it on software-wise. Hardware does. There's, a, there's also a hardware uh, jumper that uh, will also... Uh, you could do it both ways. Some people yeah. have hardwired a switch where they just flip the switch, you know, on power up, and it's permanently done. You don't have to do any pokes or peaks or anything like that, and it does work. So you just disconnect the wire from the um, CPU. Or no, you could you could do it that way, but there is also another set of uh, there's a, a little other jumper plug or one called disable, and. You can put a jumper on that, or you can put like a little wire with a switch on it and enable it that way. Oh, okay. So that's why you got a little, um, uh, with the wire, you got a little um, plug-in thing. Right. You have, you have okay. two sets of jumpers. You have the one, one is the two wires that, those are the address lines that go to the uh, RAM board. Mm -hmm. Then you have the other set, that is the one to uh, disable the 2 meg and put it into 512K mode. Gotcha. I, I personally, I like the software solution because if you have specific games or programs that are having problems with it, you can just make a little loader that does that, right? Or whatever, and then and then you fixed it, and you don't have to muck around with hardware, routing the wires switch up, you know, through the case or whatever. So, right. Has so anyone got a? Has anyone got a two meg board there now, so we can actually just try it and run DK Remix, or or. or run DK Remix in 2 meg and see the, the problem and then do it again but do the poke first and see if that uh, does indeed fix it. Well, we did, we did run this last week. I mean, we didn't do it with the software, but we did it with the hardware. Yeah, the hardware probably works. Well, yeah. Some people might do the mod and then close the Cocoa up and then that's it. Every, any. Yeah. You haven't got any access to the hardware, so I thought if there's a software one, then uh, that would be good. You can just do a poke before you run uh, the problem games. Right. Well, I'll I'll have to try it again because it did work. I mean, hey, I Richard? didn't test it with uh, uh, Donkey Kong Remix, but I, I tested out with the Sierra games. Okay. Um, this quick dumb question, because I know it was, it was a pretty lengthy thread in Facebook, and maybe we can just cut to the short and simple answer for everybody to understand. The, the fact that certain programs have issues with 2 megs, it has nothing to do with the fact of how your 2 meg board is designed or connected. It's just these are known issues with these programs, and th they would have the same issue if they had any other vendor's 2 meg board. Is that a true statement? Uh Probably. I mean, again, there was. I did have. Sierra's case for sure. Yes. Yeah. It didn't work with one meg boards either. Right. So uh, again, this was you know when when people develop their software, I I, I kind of I guess the best analogy would be like a Y two K issue. Is when Tandy did the MMU part. I think what they did is they took part of the circuit from Motorola because they had a. a a chip called the 6829, which had which addressed two megs, and I think they incorporated that into the gimme, but they didn't add the address lines, and that's what the the DAT board on the uh, boomerang does. Is it 
adds those two additional address lines. Yeah, because right now it does uh, it does five twelve k. Right. I mean, specifically in the Sierra Games case, what it's doing is that it at, tells OS nine to allocate from high memory your video screens, and that's the recommended way to do it because you have a better chance of getting contiguous RAM because your video screens have to be contiguous. If you have thirty two k, they have to be four blocks in a row. You can't break them up. So OS nine allocates your programs and all the other stuff from low memory going up, and it allocates screens from your high mem going down, which on five twelve k work fine. Uh, what the Sierra games do when they try to allocate on a one meg or two meg machine is they will request OS9, you know, give me some contiguous RAM and it will return the proper, you know, from the top of two meg or whatever. But then it cheats and tries to read the MU registers directly from the gimme itself to see what did you get for your currently allocated blocks. But because those extra address lines are write only and you can't read them back, they return zeros for the two high bits, which means it's giving you an address back in the lower 512 again. Yet the game itself thinks it's up in the two meg area. So it's storing stuff in two meg and it never displays because it's displaying stuff down in 512k, et cetera. So that's that's the main reason it it screws up. I don't know what the particular case in Donkey Kong Remix is, but that's what's happening on the Sierra ones, if it's not patched. Okay. Is that similar to when, uh, if you're running, a, um, I run um, the uh, pr projector and sometimes... Um, because of the way it's, it has access to the drive, it isn't standard, so it, sometimes it won't work. Like, it won't pick up drive one from the SDC. That shouldn't be related to the the DAT lines, I wouldn't think. No, not, I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying oh. it's a similar thing where um, people, when they program, have to stick to um, standards and not do anything crazy for accessing disks in their programs. <clears throat> because then uh, it won't yeah, be that, recognized. That could be. I'd have to take a look in that particular case, what exactly okay. is going on. But yeah, a lot of things were assumed. Like um, we had problems like this back in, um, you know, Cocoa One days when the disc controller came out with DOS, you know, Disk Extend Basic 1.0. And then people found there's some pretty cool routines in there they can use on their own stuff for reading sectors and whatever else. And they called them directly in the ROM at certain addresses, not going through the quote unquote official abstracted jumps to Discon and stuff. And then when Tandy themselves came out with this extended basic 1.1, they added the DOS command, they shifted everything around, so everything moved. And then all the stuff that was hard-coded for 1.0 all broke. And if you were around in 82 when that happened, a ton of stuff broke, and everybody was really pissed off. Um, so that's, yeah, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, they're programming for stuff that isn't out yet, they don't know what's going to be changing, and then anytime you do those changes, you're going to break some software that was hard-coded for it. And that's one of the reasons having an operating system like OS 9 is normally pretty good, because it abstracts the hardware, you run through an official quote unquote system call and it translates to whatever the current driver current hardware is. Unfortunately, with a couple specific cases like the Sierra games, they actually cheated and actually read off the hardware directly, which I mean, is not recommended. They should have just done the system call to get the, uh, the blocks back that were returned uh, rather than trying to read the gimme directly. Um, now, mind that, back then, they wouldn't have known any different, but do that. Do they do that for speed or? I'm not just quite sure why they did that. There, there was legal <laughs> ways to do it that would have worked just fine and wouldn't have broken anything. I mean, it might have been for speed, but to be honest, the MMU blocks in Sierra games, it only reads it once to figure out where are my screens mapped, and then it saves copies of them for the game itself to use, and then it never touches it again. So no, it wouldn't have been a speed thing in that particular case. It was just quicker, I guess, writing code-wise to not have to go through a system call to get it. A, a copy mem would have done it just as fine. Uh, I have to see how Robert Gall patched it. I don't know if he patched it to hard-coded for 2 meg uh, 
stuff from the gimme itself and kind of keep track of itself or if you just use a copy mem to get whatever os9 return i'll have to take a look to see what exactly you did but a lot, a lot of uh, operating systems went through this in the early days and that's when abstraction layers started happening with the you know real quote unquote operating systems abstracted the hardware far enough apart that you just use system calls or apis to to do all this kind of stuff it's slower than talking to the hardware directly which back in the old days with the eight bits and the early 16 bits uh, did slow things down. That's why you had a ton of DOS drivers for sound cards and video cards and everything else back in the day. And now that the machines are fast enough and modern machines that you just you use APIs for everything and you don't notice the speed difference because you're running at two gigahertz you know, versus one megahertz or whatever. So, All right. That was a nice travel yeah. down the rabbit hole there. Yeah. So, uh, it was very, very common and, you know, and documented other systems, but just because you were working at the same time, if you were only familiar with the Coco, oh, well, I could call this routine. Other places call routines, but, uh, you know, I had remembered doing my research, you know, very well. Okay, use documented routines only if you expect it to be compatible in the future. Yeah. And a lot of people just didn't do that. And, uh, in fact, they didn't do that in the magazines, even. You see them calling all the other stuff. So, but, you know, in some circles that was promoted, you know, hey, if you're going to make sure it's going to run in the future, use only documented routines. And then uh, other groups were, oh, well, you can do this and stuff in the ROM. You can do that. Call this. Do this. You know, and, and so you had those two. Uh, competing camps. Yeah, competing camps that were, were going on. And. And so, uh, well, I mean, Tandy even documented certain calls in the ROM, and rather than go jump via the pointer to save the clock cycles, people just directly jump to the address in ROM, and then when things moved, then they complain. I mean, <laughs> it's not like they didn't try to stop them, but yeah. Though to be honest, the the ROM routines that Tandy did were pretty limited. I mean, they had a few. Oh yeah. Big ones i mean they should have added more to be honest and then they wouldn't have but, had this problem but, i mean even with that limited number they you yeah, know they still voted them anyway like scanning the keyboard or something like polecat was put in specifically to read the keyboard and people went ah i'll just call a1 b1 or whatever the heck the address was for the specific um, so you know if they used polecat it ran on a dragon but if they didn't yeah then it would have went on a dragon yeah and so that was kind of the things you know if they document it, if you all possibly could use that routine, use that routine. And I'd be aware if you use any undocumented, but there. That you're going to have and to I, change it for every revision. Yeah. Your hair looks really nice today, Curtis. Before you there, Stevie. <laughs> Curtis, would, have you changed your conditioner or something? Your hair looks very nice. It's got a beautiful sheen to it. What was the first part of the <laughs> I said your hair looks really nice today. It's got a nice sheen to it. Have you changed conditioners or you started it's washing it? It's properly lit compared to last week because I was <laughs> off my phone last week. So. It's a maple syrup concoction. <laughs> yeah. Only in it's maple syrup and coconut oil. That's what it is. Mm. He says he's lit. <laughs> I am in Canada. Welcome to Canada. Oh. John Strong, do we have your wife's permission to finish hearing about the joystick adapter? Yeah, I think so. She, we, we got That's a new uh, electric pressure cooker, and she didn't know how to open it up yet. We haven't used it that many times. It's much different than the others, okay? And uh, 
So she's out fixing some chicken noodle soup for me. Ooh, so, that sounds good. So yeah, what and it smells you... really good. I'm getting hungry from smelling it. <laughs> Do you have enough to share with everybody? Or uh, <laughs> She's liable to make enough for sure. Everybody. Getting it to you is a problem. <laughs> FedEx or Might yeah, be cold. Just, and so what we're doing on oh. the joystick here is this. And Will that plug into the pressure cooker? <laughs> you can control the pressure Adjust cooker. your temperature with the, with the joystick. Yeah. No, okay. Stir it. So uh, I've been trying to think where to place the switch on here. And probably be a toggle switch with a, there to make it not in the way, which is using it. And where to put the cords at to be able to make it switchable from left to right. And... Uh, the thing that would happen if we do this, and we have it this direction on a switch there, the fire buttons are going to relocate, basically. So you'd have to do that. But if you're lefty or righty, and that's what you use all the time, it's not going to get used to where they're at. So I didn't know if I need to mark it uh, with a symbol on the plastic case, or which is what I'm preferring maybe to do, or do something like, do two colors of buttons on the case. And, you know, red would be like fire one all the time, and black is fire two all the time, no matter what the position was. Okay. So there were some options there. And since you're going to be holding it here, the switch, the switch, it has to be somewhere else that's not in the way uh, too much. So you can either go, and this would require a little PC board, well, maybe something, a small switch that go in that kind of hides so it's not in, in the way a whole lot. Or you could go something like a bigger toggle switch is real you know, easy to, to switch it. So I haven't decided which switch I'm going to go with yet on one that's going to, you know, the, the switchable one. And where my cable's going to come out, uh, on here, I do have my strain relief and everything designed, but it'll have to be moved. I'm thinking moving it to one of the quarters here would be fairly convenient. It's not going to go straight out like this would from the side to there, but it might be enough it's not really in your way. And uh, Or you could do it in the center in the end here. I have a suggestion. It'll always be coming out the side. Um, the thing I'm thinking about, yeah. So I've just kind of, some de you know, physical location decisions on that. Uh, it's easy enough to rewire that. Uh, how about a foot switch? Well, I was going to say, how about we put a kin <laughs> we put a kinetic switch in there so it could be like Sockmaster's monitor. You just smack it on the side and switch its <laughs> orientation. <laughs> smack it left, smack it right. <laughs> Well, yeah, just trying to, yeah, just trying to do it with all mechanical solutions and, you know, pulling no power or anything, you know, for it with switches. Yeah, if I could get, you know, switches that had more pulls, you know, that would easily, they're, they're harder to find once you get past two poles, two throws, and, uh, and price goes up drastically. So, uh, it... So I've been working on that, just trying to decide to replace the other things. That looks nice. Okay. Well, we've been yeah. joined by Jason the Cocoa Man, too. Hey, Jason. And so my uh, six-pin DIN connectors had come in. And I had plenty of these, that, but nothing I could wire a switch in. You know, that was 
goes on a cable, but I need a PC board and switches that came in. So we've got those. So I've got to, they came, finally everything came in this week. So I've got to sit down and add a custom components to KiCad and make a PC board for it. So uh, you'll be able to plug in and then switch which one you want to use and not have to unplug it. Hey, John. My question is, how are you going to offer these? Are you going to sell the boxes and then have uh, like a kit where you buy the parts? Are you going to provide those or what? Well, probably do the, do the whole joystick assembled for you because to keep the size down, you know, if I would make it so anybody could buy any switch, this thing would probably have to be that deep because they'd be go buying the arcade switches that has the... Uh, the other uh, cherry switches and everything in it. Mm. And, you know, I, I looked at some of those at Micro Center this week and, and uh, it was like, you know, oh yeah, they'd be that dip, you know, they're, they're just, they're going to go big. And so to keep something reasonable size, I probably would have to source the parts and be able to get in it. And also the joystick uh, mechanism they had were, again, they had the bat handle in there, which I just, looked at them for reference. I probably wouldn't buy them from them because I can get them cheaper elsewhere. But yeah, yeah, the handle's a little longer, but they all look like plastic and they're about like this deep, you know, and then about like much bigger in size. So, which if you're taking them in an arcade cabinet, it doesn't matter. But if you're wanting something that you could pick up and handhold or, or put on your desk and move easily, then you want something that's going to be you know, big enough to use good, but you don't want it in a huge size. And so, uh, so that's what I'm looking at and tracking on the parts. So to uh, do this, and then of course you have basically two styles of these that you, you're gonna have. You have the HAP style, which is the individual leaf switches. Okay, everything comes out. And then I think it's what is the Swana or something's the other one, and it has a five-pin connector that comes out, and so they have one common and everything to that. If you use those, then you're going to have to have an electronic adapter with the uh, transmission gate, the 4066, to do the conversion. And so you're going to add a little, you're going to add cost to there. And you know, people might not realize which joystick they have to order and so on. Using this style, it's very simple to convert the stick. And, uh, okay. And well, I just got resistors here. I'm just going to bring it out for reference. The, the, the answer is, the answer is going to be that, that you're going to sell it as a, as a, fully a produced product reasons, yeah okay yeah yeah and so you just you wire it up you can actually solder it together then instead of uh if you lose the slip-on post or connectors that's going to increase the size of the case because you're going to have to have about a half inch uh more space to allow for it and the wire so um to keep it small and compact as possible but you know usable i think you're going to have to I'm going to have to source it. Have so, you got a cost estimate yet? What do you think it's going to cost? Because you kind of got parts kind of picked out at this point. Because um, I'm definitely interested in one, but I got yeah, to start saving. I, well, uh, my cost estimate on the, the 
ball one with this, okay, is approximately $30. And that's with the switching as well between the two ports and stuff? Uh, or is that, that just will be, no, the, the two ports will be an extra item that you buy separately. Oh, okay. It's not going to be built into it. So I'll, I'll sell that as a separate uh, adapter cable. Okay. And uh, because if I do it in the joystick, then I'm going to have to have a, a connector in the side and a circuit board coming up the joystick. That'll, that'll increase the cost for it. And, uh, and not everybody might want that too. So Yeah, right. right. Not everybody might want it. And so I'm thinking the, the switch uh, item max 15 in the case maybe less on on the other item the switch between the two um i will have to see you know in quantity what it cost me the pc board and stuff on that but, uh definitely you know i wouldn't plan i wouldn't market it over 15 dollars you know for that how much if you include a coco 3 on the end <laughs> <laughs> So that's kind of the, uh, you know, where I'm heading with this. And I think the combination is kind of nice. The, the analog stick is coming in and I think the analog will be just a little bit more because, because the uh, controller is going to cost, cost more. Hey, John, have you uh, come up with a uh, Australian name for it yet? No, well, let's see. Oh. <laughs> Turn it upside down and uh, spell it that well, way. <laughs> he's already he's already putting a toggle switch in it. Yeah, it could be the joystick. It could be the joystickaroo. Yeah, you can have it upside up and upside down toggle switch for Australia. So. Yeah, I, I just I, I I tune in and I'm like, another Coco product with a toggle switch. I thought that yeah. was my thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 but. Uh, you know, uh, something called like J switch or J share or something like that for the, the one where you could switch it. And uh, so. What was that, Rick? You came in a little over modulated there. Okay. Fire a roo. Fire a roo <laughs> for a, or joystick a roo or fire a roo. There you go. Fire a roo. have just caused to fire the roo. <laughs> call it the joystick fire yeah call it the platypus like a, adapter because it's a mishmash of different things put together is that like a dumpster fire <laughs> oh no yeah. Yeah. okay um, and my so last we, question for you john is uh what did you have an expected availability date do you think i'll be ready for the fest or uh the fest is a, a goal date uh if somebody wants to do sooner than that you know you can contact me uh, i may have some i'm just trying to get some of the parts and stuff in and get it down to where i'm happy with it uh, at this point i've been ready to make cables up and design a pc board for the uh, other switcher um i usually switch to test the idea of moving it from side to side but it should work and maybe order some toggle switches in or you know, I've got to decide how I'm going to switch that is the main thing. But uh, I printed two cases up. Uh, that's good. That's uh, non-switchable. So uh, if somebody was, you know, left or right and knew that's what they're going to keep it as, you know, I could make one for them available fairly soon. 
So it's going to take two um, multi-pack slots to make it work? No. <laughs> I'm just take kidding. two multi-pack slots and call me in the morning. Really? Yes. Yeah. All right. I like all the suggestions in chat here for your title of uh, what you're going to call it, though. Uh, do we yeah. got a bunch? Oh, yeah. We've got the Joey, the Dingo, uh, the Joey Switcher, Frankenstein, the Joystick, Joystick, Mick Joystick Face. <laughs> <laughs> That's a clever one. That uh, just rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> yeah. Asking what other things we're being done. The guys at Cocoa Fest probably seen this on a on my system. I had one going available for sale, and uh, I was debating whether to talk about this or not. But this was actually the reason I did this. This is for the Matchbox. It was actually a test for a other concept. I took this test concept. Uh, Bring vacation to one step farther. This is a 50% scale of a Cocoa 3 top. Hmm. Ventilous. Wow. Oh, you even got all the, the ports. ports in the back. So now you just need a half size Cocoa 3. Well, I need That's the, the uh, large enough 3D printer to print the full size. Ah, and I, I've had I've had one before, and I had to send it back because it died on me. But, uh, uh, so you're you're this was like a a prototype to see if you could re produce a replacement Coco Three case. Yes. Okay. And so these were my original proof of concept idea. Okay, yeah, mm -hmm. that does good enough. Okay, let's let's scale it up next step and see what we're doing. And uh, it's and not I recommend it but it's doable and uh it definitely you could stick a um rod, uh, like a raspberry pi in there or something you know well Have that's the to... other thing that i've been thinking about with this half size one because it's you know pretty close to proportionally the same shape as the coco 3. are you going to be and... able to make a keyboard to stick in there yeah no, you could a, you a could one, right i don't know if you want to use it but yeah you no. could but, you, you need know, pretty small fingers. Do you want to make it look, you know, authentic? Well, Is it uh, like the, actually, didn't they make the Commodore little bread bin thing with a static keyboard? doesn't work. Well, yeah, the I, Commodore I've Classic that, Mini. I did that mm -hmm. already for the Matchbox, okay, which has the with separate pieces. I don't know if i got a keyboard laid here yet. I probably have to print another one. But, you know, did the insert so it has the color difference and, uh, and then the keyboard. No, oh, neat. Did a non-functional. Okay. Uh, I think Bill Noble has one of those, if I remember. Yeah, it's a, that might be the one I built, yeah, got or something, okay. But uh, so, you know, we did, I've already done that. So, so yes, you know, this could be done. So it has a non-functional keyboard. Um it might be possible to do so where it had a functional keyboard. Well, it is possible, just whether I do it or not, whether it's worth the time. But uh, the other thing I thought about with this looking on sizes. Okay, in a couple minutes, I'll be there. Come get your soup, honey. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna Soup's on. You might actually be able to stick a couple raspberry pies in here. Oh, a double double pie driven 
quad computing quantum logic machine. A dual core for the SD card. Bring those out someplace. And uh, so that's the kind of craziness I've been doing. You didn't print mm. a bottom to that? Uh, I haven't done a bottom yet. This was my test. It's a lot less, the bottom's less complicated than this. So if this prints, the bottom will print. Yeah. yeah. That's neat. No, instead of a keyboard, maybe a screen. Ooh, a touch screen. You can do a virtual keyboard on there. Just fr put a freaking smartphone in there. You know what I mean? It's just a. Hey, I'm coming. Oh, hi, guys. I'll, I need to go help with that soup. Go, go make that soup, John. All right. That's cool, though. <laughs> Neat stuff. So from the uh, from the laboratory of John Strong and Strongware, look forward to joysticks and cocoa cases and God knows what else. Yeah, I'm definitely um, interested in the joystick itself, and I'm also interested in the one where you can switch between the left and right, so you don't have to keep unplugging for every game. That yeah, yeah, that that seems like that left-right switcher, having it as a separate box is the perfect solution. So you have one input, you have two outputs, and you're just switching between the two. Yeah. Um, and that would work if any type of joystick you plugged into it. Um, neat idea. I know you've been annoyed trying to switch between games in some of our gameathons, where you know this one wants left and this one wants. Yeah, left. yeah, 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 yeah. All right, well, we've been we've been babbling here for 45 minutes. I want to thank the 27, 28 people who are here watching us live right now. we got some new people joining us. How about we, we uh, take a moment to recognize some of our sponsors and community members, and we'll take a commercial break before Ron Delvo has to ask permission to go pee. Um, we, will, we will take a preemptive potty break, but hold on one second. Let's look at some of our sponsors here. The people... Who are making things for our Cocos and doing things for our Cocos, like Brendan Donahue and the Coco VGA Project at CocoVGA.com. We have with us on the call Richard Lorbieski of Boyson Tech, B-O-Y-S-O-N Tech.com. Not with us here, but hopefully trolling in a video near you soon. Uh, Jim Brain and Retro Innovations at Go, the number four, Retro.com for all kinds of cool accoutrements for your vintage systems. Cloud9 Technologies, maker of all types of accessories, upgrades, and repairs. Cloud9Tech.com. Another hardware vendor would be Ed Snyder of the Zipster Zone. Z-I-P-P-S-T-E-R. The Z-I-P-P-S-T-E-R Zone.com. Another hardware vendor here. If, if there's a product that requires a toggle switch, he will come up with it. The maker of the Switcheroo and now the Wallaby cable. Uh, you can get yourself copies of those at CocoMan.biz. In the live chat with us too, Roger Taylor is out there, Coco Tower. So Roger Taylor is responsible for getting us on the Coco TV channel on Roku. Thanks for doing that. If you want to get your swag on and get a cool t-shirt or coffee mug like some of the cool kids here on Coco Talk panel have, you can get those at, uh, at uh, 8bit256.com. If you want to reach out to the show, you can do that at CocoTalk.live. If you're not aware of the Coco Crew podcast and you've been living under a rock for the past four years, you need to check them out immediately after watching our show at CocoCrew.org. And our good friend Brian Joyce, friend of the show, maker of our best of episodes and all kinds of other cool content, check out his blogs at Extructus, E-X-T-R-U-C-T-U-S, Extructus.com. Okay, so Coco Talk will return after these messages. We'll be right back. Ron Delvo, you may pee freely now. Hi there, this is Mark Overholzer, and you're watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly talk show where you can join in. Hey, come watch us and see what's happening in the world of Coco.
Switcheroo. Use your Coco with a modern display. Go from RGB to composite with just the flip of a switch. Coco3SCARTCABLE.COM What's going on everybody? The original gamer Stevie Stro here and I want to talk to you about Amacoconut.com. If you love the color computer like I love the color computer, then you gotta visit Amacoconut.com, your one-stop shop for all of your Tandy color computer links needs. There you'll find links to blogs and podcasts and project sites and emulators and downloads and groups and communities. If you love the color computer, head on over to Amacoconut.com. That's I-M-A, Coconut.com. Tell them the original gamer Stevie Stro sent you. Coco forever, people. G'day mates, this is Nick Marionettes, author of such colour computer titles as Donut Disaster, Rupert Rhymes and Rockstar Pilot. And I am here today to tell you about the world's most fabulous operating system, OS9. OS9 and its current incarnation Nitrous 9 is the most advanced operating system ever created. And what makes it so good? Ease of use! I find OS 9 so incredibly intuitive that I haven't once cracked open the user manual, and yet I've been able to create such incredible games faster than the time it takes to sing Walsing Matilda. Using OS 9, I expect my next game, Funstar, will be done this weekend and distributed exclusively on ROM cartridge. OS 9 forever! Any resemblance to actual events to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Some people have big plans after school. You know what Elliot's gonna do? Jeff, too. Elliot's at work on a book report using Scripsit on Radio Shack's Color Computer 3. It hooks up to his TV. And Jeff's at his Radio Shack Color Computer 3 playing the newest football game. But wait, what's Elliot doing playing new Super Pitfall? And Jeff's having a blast with a new math tutor. You never know what you might try with more than 100 programs for fun and learning. Radio Shack's Color Computer 3 comes with everything you see here. Other items each sold separately. Only at Radio Shack. We now return you to Coco Talk. Why anybody would put Scripsit on a commercial with that horrible inverted black text on the screen is beyond me. Um, but hey, do what you will. <laughs> He's doing a book report with a black and white checkerboard screen here called Scripsit. So um, very cool stuff. So we're back and we're ready to party. Um, it's 2019. Uh, Rob Inman's here. <laughs> What's his math tutor's name? He's having a blast with the new math tutor. What's his math tutor's name? That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> Rob Inman says Grant Leedy will be leaving the microphone on during his, up colon, his upcoming colonoscopy. <laughs> Live coverage from inside Grant's anus. Uh, <laughs> Coco Talk, taking you where no man has been before. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we do during Sweeps Week. <laughs> sweeps Week. Ah. Oh, Lord have mercy. A, a precursor to what our season is going to be like this year. For <laughs> <laughs> On a very special Coco Talk. On a very special Coco Talk. We're going to play Polyp Explorer. Um, On a special uh, Coco Talk after school special. <laughs> real live version of Microscopic Mission. There we go. <laughs> uh, oh. All right, so we're back. Did any, did anybody everybody get their much needed potty break? Hopefully, yeah, that's good. Um, 
Okay. Um, <laughs> Jason ran, ran the DK remix with the uh, the problem under two uh, megabytes of RAM. Oh, you did? Yeah, well, he had it just running before, and uh, you could yeah. see the problem. So I was yeah. wondering, he should just try that poke that Richard was talking about, and we tried again. You going to try the poke? Uh, I don't think he knows the poke. So I don't know the poke, so that's I, I missed that part. And... Somebody get this man the poke. <laughs> Hi oh <laughs> Richard, did you find the official? Is it is it just a peek or is it a poke or is that address right or uh, Richard Lurby asking? Should is be it right. in the sidebar? <sighs> Should be right. Yeah, it's in the sidebar. Hang on. Let's see if I can find it again. Uh, I, I, I just sent it to Jason. Okay. Yep, there it is. Said. Okay. John Strong, you can call your. Mom. Now, is, is this does this work? Is this and this is for the uh, the new DAT board, or yeah, it's for the new DAT board. Ah, well. What do you? Yeah, you have the new. DAT I board, haven't. Though. I haven't put it in yet. I just saw it here in the box with my Coco VGA, so I should probably do that first. Ah, put in your new DAT board, damn it! For you, live before coverage you... of new DAT board coming up <laughs> next on Coco Talk. <laughs> put uh, DAT board in. Put that board in. There That's go. right. <laughs> That's a bad joke, man. Oh. <laughs> Where's Grant? We need Grant to piss on this dumpster fire again. <laughs> <laughs> There's a new DAT board. That's it's a beauty. It's a and beauty 3D. of a DAT board. Yes, it is. <laughs> All we need to add now is Dr. smell-o-vision. Tun's house of DAT. <laughs> That's it. Hey, hey, John Strong, since... um. I saw that commercial for Nick's um, OS nine. Waltzing <laughs> Matilda might be a good idea for your um, joystick. <laughs> you know, waltzing. Yeah, the, my working uh, name was Coco Cade, but as I have added to my, to my uh, uh, CAD files. Coco Cade, yeah, that's cool. You know, doesn't mean that's going to be a final name, but that's the working project yeah. name. Sounds good. You have to hit me up for a logo for it, right? Okay. <laughs> and uh, looking for something here since I, I see we have a share function. So uh, I think Jason's doing surgery as we speak. Oh, well, because I'm sharing sound, you won't be able to share. So let me know when you're ready to share. I have to stop. Oh, that's that's fine. I just uh, trying to bring up a couple CAD files. Right, so I've stopped sharing, so you should be able to share now. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just we'll share and freak in. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's your little keyboard template. Yeah, that's a keyboard template. So that that went in with the uh, the Nano Coco, okay, or Matchbox, let's call it now. And so, yes, I've done, you know, a dummy keyboard, but so that's a file there. And um, let's see. So, 
Oops, this is gonna aim to uh, position it here. So you can see the add file. There that's the matchbox case, right? Yeah, that's the one that looks there. So we can. Yeah, I think that's one Bill has on his. Yeah, I think it's. So I, I did two cases for that machine. I've got the one that says the Coco three, uh, the Coco on the top, and then I did the computer shaped one. And uh, but you know, my main purpose for that was doing the uh, as a prototype for doing a larger item, to see what I could, what shapes the machine I could handle it in print. So, so is the Matchbox Coco a uh, Raspberry Pi one? Yeah, Roger Taylor's, yes. Right. Uh, Roger Taylor's it's is... Not, a, it's not Raspberry Pi. It's a DC yeah. 010 or something it's a like D that. It's FPGA, yeah. Yeah. I get yeah. confused with all the name changes. <laughs> yeah, he did change it. And I'm, I'm looking, wait a minute, now it's Matchbox. And it, it was, Formerly uh, Coco, on a, on a, Coco on a chip, on a chip. right? And then it yeah. became the Matchbox Coco. Yeah. And so uh, that's kind of you know the file, and then I have the Baden file, and like I said, the keyboard. So yeah, uh, I've done that before. So you know, but that's that's the template for the one or the, the CAD file at some stage of the game. I don't know if it's the latest one or not, but that would go in. So yeah, on a half half size one, you know, I could build a dummy keyboard. Might even be able to build a functional keyboard. I've got some. Uh, You'll have some competition there, though. There's a couple new keyboard products coming out. So. Oh well, I I'm trying to build a full size keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm yeah, because the only thing that makes the Coco keyboard more functional is to scale it down. <laughs> well, it was just kind of, you know, I mean, if you have the emulated, you can tap the tiny little keys easier. Yeah. I don't know if you can see that on the system, but the idea, if you have it emulated on a Raspberry Pi, you know, what, what, I, what might be cool is actually have a functional keyboard to go with it, even though you might not want to use it. <laughs> But yeah, the fact that it does function is kind of cool. Like just for little simple things like press any key to continue, if you tapped on the box and it did that, that would be yeah, kind of cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I've I've looked at you know, there is some boards out there you can do analog input through the Raspberry through analog joysticks, but I haven't picked one up yet to, to experiment with it. In fact, I've got Rogers Klein's uh, Raspberry Pi. Uh, disc could have it here for a couple of weeks, and I haven't had a chance to to play with it yet. Been too busy. Does the Raspberry Pi use a uh, PS2 or a USB? It's piece? just got a bunch of USB ports on it. I yes. think it also has Bluetooth built in. So if you wanted to do a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse, you could. So yeah. a Raspberry Pi uses a normal PC keyboard, basically. It, it can use anything you plug into it. Yeah. So yeah. can you do a Coco case uh, for the Raspberry Pi, but just have it so you chop the keyboard part off since the keyboard is not really going to be 
a useful part of the thing. Just make it so that the back part looks like a Coco with no keyboard extension and have a, a Raspberry uh, uh, a, a, a PC little mini on the front. Yeah. So well, it's a detachable. It's actually, so that way that saves a bit of plastic as well. Yeah. There's actually a couple of designs out there that, that looks quite a bit like a Coco. Uh, a lot smaller than this. And, but smaller uh, wouldn't be usable, though. That's a thing, you know. Yeah, I've got one. I've <clears throat> I've got one of the 3D printed ones that I got from Coco Fest, which is a Coco One case with non-functional keyboard that you can put a Raspberry Pi in. So just so your Raspberry Pi looks like a Coco, you know. Um, so this this exists, but I found that this was very difficult to get the stuff in, and and I didn't find that the ports were as easily accessible but and, i just like the way it looks you know? yeah what did, what did that cost you uh, i got it in the auction i don't remember i might have spent oh. 15 dollars on it i think glenn hewlett made this yeah. and uh, yeah. donated it to the to the auction and they they look nice now i had trouble getting them i tried to print some of those with my printer and, and just wasn't doing anything now i do have some upgraded software i may try it again and see where whether it is um, the the problem with 3D printing is sometimes you, you, you do a great design that works on your printer and uh, with your setup and parameters and it, it doesn't print with anything on somebody else's. So there's no standard on those yet? There's no standard on the 3D printers? Is that the question? They're standard, but they just yeah. not the print. The print quality is not consistent, I guess. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I would I would say that's true. I mean, the the file formats are fairly standardized now, but the capabilities of the printer, like how fine tuned it can do a design on yeah, the print, it's, it's going to be melt the plastic is different. It can do a different plastic and make a, a get different plastic. The flow rate of the plastic. There's a lot of parameter variables that can uh, change for using uh, everything else, and so. Uh, and some printers just print better and print smaller features better. Mm. Like a more precision, um, more precision nozzle, I guess, for laying down the stuff. That's cool. That's very I cool. See Jason's doing the poke for uh, Jason. Are you are you ready to show us your improved DAP board and running the poke? Uh, oh, I got a peak. Is it a peak? Uh, that's a whole other question. I can't tell you if it's a peak or a poke here. That's what, need that's a peak looks. That's peak. what Richard posted was a peak, yes. Print okay. peak and HFD501, I thought what it was. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Print peak. And HF and HFD01. Is it FD01? Zero. That was, that was F. So hmm. poke it into a one, see what happens. Yeah, I got uh, and HFD01, I do a peak and I get zero. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I don't think it matters what value. I think it's just accessing that area of memory. Okay. Yeah. Do I need to do that before or after I load the remix? Before you, before. yeah, as you've done. So before you load, you're it, now in five twelve K mode. Yeah, th that's what we're trying to see. Are you actually in five twelve K only mode? Okay. Will DK remix now run correctly without flashing that screen? And without having to move a physical switch. Yeah. I'm all about toggle switches. 
Okay, here's the first screen, remixed. Yeah, indeed. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember, when, when did the problem kick in? When you once you leave this right screen here, because the word remix, once you yeah. start the game, because the title screen would stay up on the screen. Part of the title screen, anyways. Look, looking good so far. Nope, still there. Nope, still the same. So, yeah, I'm not sure that just running a peak is the answer. You may have, have to poke, poke it. One there. At that location, poke one. Yeah, and as soon as as soon as things cross over those spots, they get erased. But in the meantime, they stay up there. Mm-hmm. So now this is the new dat board. Right. This is the this is the new this is the new dat board. It has the uh, September 2018 uh, date on the uh, silk screen. Yeah. So yeah, just peeking in it was not enough apparently. Yeah. Try the poke. What's the it, poke? What do we poke? One at that location, right? Yeah. yeah. Try that. Okay, we'll try zero, that. Zero or one? It's already zero. Yep. No, we'll, 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 um, we'll try one then. Um, you got to do the poke first. Yeah, he's going to hit break. Oh, he did. Oh, yeah. I didn't mount the directory properly. Shift M. There it is. So, poke. Uh, do I have to put that in parentheses, I'm guessing? No, no, no so only yeah. when you're peeking it. Okay. HFD01, HFD01, comma one. one. Okay. Load M in exec. Al Hackman has a question in the chat. Does it matter if the DAT board has a jumper on it or not? Like, does the hardware <laughs> jumper override the poke? Yes. Ah. The hardware, hardware jumper will override the software. Yes, switch. it will. Okay, so Jason, do you have the jumper on there or no? No, no jumpers. Okay, okay good. Donkey Kong Remix. John Kowalski, the sock master. Master of socks. Master of socks. <laughs> master of monitor abuse. Oh, something's going to happen. Maybe this is the quadruple speed mode. No, nope. no, 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 no. Is this, this where is, you but get the he, monitor he, to fix it? Yeah, did you, did he, but he turned on two-layer graphics. Repeatedly several times. <laughs> he just... He yeah, just turned okay. on two layer graphics though. Look at that whole extra layer graphics back there. <laughs> nope, that's not working. Are you gonna leave? Am I leaving? No, my dog. Have you got the jumper? Just throw the jumper on and just verify it all works. Yeah, in. yeah, I can do that. You yeah, jump that jumper. Turn it off. It is off. Uh, jumper it off and is turned it back on again. Is it plugged in? Here, here, here be, here, here's what I'd be curious, uh, Jason. Before you execute the game, once you have jumpered it, mm -hmm. run the peak with the jumper to see what the value is of that same number. Yeah, we can do that. Uh, and see if the jumper changes that. And that, that would be a clue as to what to poke it to um, to try the software reset. Good point. It's worth a try. You're so smart. I'm a fart smeller. Uh-huh. You should be here. 
Damage Print peak. Now you have to do uh, in parentheses. And HFD zero one. There we go. Oh, what I did. You put the wrap. I can't no, tell. I, see, I, put, I put the peak in parentheses. My my fault. I'm Print. going all parentheses uh, crazy. Parenthesized here. Boy, that's readable. Uh, it's yeah. extremely readable. Yeah. Uh, it says okay, 58. Okay, so number one, let's just try it with the switch. It should work, but then you want to go back, yeah, and without the switch and poke a 58 in there and see if that's the value that needed to be there. We just kind of arbitrarily chose one. Yeah, let's see what we have here. 58. 58. 58. And also 58. do it again. Uh, pull the jumper out and then read that same um, value yeah. as well. Yeah, when you first, I, I, we did that. We got. Zero. I did that, and it was zero. Oh, it was zero. The first time. Mm -hmm. yeah. The yeah. first time it was. Yeah. 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 Correct. All right. <clears throat> and if that doesn't work, get out your soldering iron and and, <laughs> and solder your hair. Solder your hair. Way ahead of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Donkey Kong is a registered trademark of Nintendo. Yeah, don't tell anybody. Uh so Ooh, initializing. initializing. See, it didn't say initializing before. It would just freeze. Yeah. Because you couldn't see that screen. Yeah, I couldn't see that. Yeah, so okay, there we go. There's that. There's no flicker. But we could start it, and it would look... Correct. Looks normal. Okay. Yeah. Looking good. Okay. Let me... Uh, let, let's re... Right, so, the, so we know the hardware switch works. Right. I already knew that. With yeah. the value of 58. Yeah, so now you want to try it. by the way. So I wonder what that is. 3A. Now, have you unswitched it? Uh, the jumper uh, the jumper is off. Of, uh, did you power off? Or? Yeah, I powered off. and oh, okay. um, The dumpster no. is off. The dumpster is off. <laughs> Dude, just peek it again, just for shits and giggles. Make sure that, that when we peek it, it's always zero. That HFDO1. Someday I'll remember that. Okay, it's zero. So by default, zero. Yeah. So now you want to poke that at 58, huh? Mm-hmm. Poke and H, FD 501. And peek it again and see yeah, if it is it, actually, it if it stayed, yeah. Uh, yeah. Is it? 58, yeah. FD 501? It's FD 01. I, I say FD 501 because I'm thinking of the floppy controller, yeah, so. Yeah, Stevie, uh, Stevie's adding extra. It's extra. not floppy yeah. talk. It's not floppy <laughs> talk. <laughs> yeah, it's not here. Okay, uh, I peaked the game. So it helped. Run the game, it'll work that's, perfect. Let's do it, everybody. Go, 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 go. You can do it, you can do it. Yeah, because actually that, that's a copy of the super extended ROM. Do it live. Do it live. Do it live. To play us Yeah. Can I debug my software live on Coco Talk? Why not? That Why should not? be a new feature. <laughs> That'd be riveting live TV. Yeah, and uh, by the way, we need to save the heavy breathing for after dark. Nobody gets that for free during the day. Peeing is free drink. I think it's snoring. Snoring. Okay. Here we go. Remakes. Light doesn't jump. Are so good. Is it gonna work? Is it gonna work? Drum roll. Have you got a drum roll, Sam? I've hit the button. Press the button, Frank. Okay, yeah. we don't see initializing on the no. screen. Yeah. Do it live. It's actually much better now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Uh, well, it was worth a shot. There is uh, got to be. This is riveting, riveting programming. This is about yes. where we need the toilet flush sound. <laughs> yeah. Is this is this the core dump? Let me let me go to the drawing board. There, there is a software reset. I'll I'll dig it up. Okay. So dig deep in that dumpster. Yeah, let me go to Goodwill and I'll, I'll... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Alright. Um hey there Bruce you Moore, you sent me a couple of links to some audio. You you wanna should I pull that stuff up? <clears throat> Oh, only only if the topic comes up. It was just Dara's reference. Guess okay. what? <laughs> okay. Well, now I, it's it, time uh, to play. Guess the topic. Yeah, the, to <laughs> the 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 topic will come up, so that's fine. So we'll we'll save yeah. it for that time. Grant sure. Leedy, is everything good, Grant? Grant Leedy, do you copy? Grant Leedy, you must be in the bathroom. Yeah. No, he's he's, 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 he's in the bathroom. Paused in his car. All right. Oh. Okay, well, I, I have no doubt that it will work. It's just figuring out what the right setting is to make that work. And if we are able to do that on this show and pass that information along, then we provided a valuable public service. You just yes. have to poke the right place. You've got to know where you got to know where to poke it and what to poke into it. It's just like life. <laughs> Real time debugging. That's it. Uh, yeah. Alive. All right, so how about we move on to the community review section of the show, where we'll start to go over things that people have posted on Facebook this week and oh. um, and see what's out there, and then we can commentate on them as, uh, as you see fit. So we'll start off with uh, a little bit of, uh, of Curtis Boyle music here, if I can find the right buttons here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funnier to watch him play guitar. Yes. <laughs> so, Curtis Boyle's rocking out. So, I figured we would start off really? the new year with this because my prediction is that 2019 is the year of Coco Sound, and that we're gonna we're not only we're gonna see things, but we're gonna hear things on our Coco with sound chips. We're gonna have games and demos. And all kinds of stuff. Kyle Edder just joined us. Hey, Kyle, how are you? And so to kick it off, uh, Chet Simpson has now added support for the Game Master cartridge on VCC emulator. And not only on the new one, but even on the old one. So I thought I would um, um, kick this in here. So oh, you, you guys can't hear it yet. Hold on, let me share the audio. Is this something you have to add to the emulator? It's probably something you can stick in the MPI. That's distorting. Yeah. Just got to know what slot to stick it in. It's not too good. <laughs> it's distorting pretty it's Is it distorting pretty good? Terrible. All right. Well, let's turn it down. All right. So we're going to start over. Let me know if you guys. That's a little better. Much better. I'm not sure how he's implementing it, but there's a link to the GitHub. My guess would be this is like like a lot of things on the uh, on uh, VCC. It's like a DLL file that you can mount into one of the slots of the MPI on the uh, VCC. That would be my guess. It still has distortion. Well, listen, I'm sharing audio. What do you want? People in the live thinking here. Quit whining, okay? Um, <laughs> oh, that might be part of it too, because this is supposed to be emulating a SID. 
um, which is the Commodore chip. So this is using this is a SID emulator that runs off of the. Uh, well, it's using SID. a noise channel for sure in there. Yeah, yeah the drums yeah. are kind of the noise. Channel. Anyways, we're, 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 that's supposed to sound good. It does it? sound good, Ron. <laughs> Listen that's to it on most Facebook. People say about this oh. show. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyways, leading dumpster what? fire. Yes. Yes. Ninety episodes so, in, and we want to try to increase our. Uh, yeah, yeah. want to start sounding good now. What? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, so yeah. So okay. So Nick Moroda says it sounded good on YouTube. So it made its way through the stream. It's probably not audio sharing well, but anyways. Um, so the Game Master cartridge, which is one of three sound solutions out there, technically four if you count Sir Sound, um, and um, it's out there. You can already emulate the Game Master cartridge in uh, Mame. You can emulate it in XROAR, but now emulation for it has been added to VCC. So for those of you who are using VCC as a development test platform, um, you can now test development of uh, Game Master cartridge audio. I thought this was cool. I am looking forward to seeing and hearing um, Coco Sound in 2019. So I figured we now, would start off with that. How is this implemented? Yeah, what, um, is this a GMC card emulation on VCC or is yes, it yes 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 because yes. it's another chip altogether again the, yeah well he's running a program that's a SID emulator that that's emulating SID music on the GCC but what this hmm. is showing off is G is G GMC emulation on VCC to throw some acronyms at you yeah, it's some bit. Well, uh, the SID sounds better than that anyway. So well, oh, I I know the SID does, but this is like a SID player running on that chip. Ah, uh, so it's playing SID tracks, but it's, it's playing, playing a SID track through on yeah. uh, through the GMC. Uh, okay. Yes, yes. Via but, your E I E I O. Yes, F Y I. There's going to be a quiz after this. So, um, yes. Yeah, so notes. The game master cartridge which is the thing that John Linville is producing um, for people to make Cocoa games with sound. It can now be played on the uh, on VCC. So yeah, now all, all the Cocoa... All major emulators can support this. Well, you have wow. to check the link. I don't know, Ron. It's a link. I don't know. I haven't tried it. I'm playing a video here. No, what um, I'm asking is, is it something you add <laughs> to VCC? Yes, it's for VCC, and like I said, I suspect it's you have to put it in the multi-pack. Have you have you used VCC oh, before? Yeah, okay. So uh, when you go to VCC, that, that you can is, go to. Oh, okay. Well, is I, this I, a viable alternative? It's a viable alternative <laughs> to running v Jeff Vazasaur's <laughs> emulator for sure. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I I don't exactly know how though because I haven't tried it. All I know is it's been posted to Facebook and there's a video for it. I'm assuming it's a it's a it's it's a virtual cartridge that would go in the MPI. Okay. But you would have to check the link. Your mileage may vary. Um, anyway, yes, so on three. Yes, 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 yes. So, anyways, I thought this was a great way to start off the year and a great way to start off our little um, product um, discussion. You know, our our news discussion with this Coco Sound. I I, I think it's inevitable we're going to have some Coco Sound this year, yeah. and I'm looking There's forward to it. There's at least two games announced that are using this chip too. So, I mean, Jet Simpsons. Uh Sack race one, and, and um, the other one that um, Steve Steve Cobra. Bamford's working on. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, 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 yes. Looks good. Looks promising. Uh, I am looking forward to more and more Coco Sound this year. 
right? And that was one of the things that um, was mentioned on the Coco Crew podcast. Too. Did you guys all listen to the podcast or part of it, most of it? Yep. So one one of the discussions was, listen, there's there's three sound chips out there now. People are saying they've been waiting for sound. The sound is here, so start developing, you know? Hello? Hello? <laughs> Hello. Ron, can you hear us? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, do you have to pee by any chance? We, we have sound. <laughs> uh, okay. Is, is right. Ron so, having a senior moment? <laughs> <laughs> Um, don't upset him he's the guy that brings brings in that's right that's right our celebrity <laughs> interview guy we gotta be nice to him so yeah. <laughs> just make sure he gets his nap yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe there'll be some leftover chicken soup for you too so uh from the strong residents so uh friend of the show brother of the coco man ken reichard also known as ken ken make it has produced a an interesting little entry. And we had talked about this, and I think the Coco Crew talked about it too. It was like a 30-day challenge to make a game in BASIC. Um, so it was mentioned. We, we, we threw that out there. Wouldn't that be neat? And, of course, it would just, it, like a lot of things, they don't always get past the discussion phase. But um, the, the topic was broached, and Ken took it upon himself to um, produce a game. So there's a link to this on Facebook. Um, which is a video showing the game, which also can link to Ken's website, which is, uh, ironically, it's called Ken, C-A-N, Ken, K-E-N, makeit.com. Um, so if you go to his website, there's all kinds of good, including a, a handsome picture of Ken himself uh, is up there. But there's <laughs> a video to it, there's screenshots to it, and you can download the link of the game. And so what I thought I would do, since I've already got the game queued up, and maybe one of the members of our panel here might and might enjoy this screen here, but the game is called Nut Nutroid. <laughs> so um, the Nutroid game, Nutroid game. Uh, can, steroids? Yeah, something like that. So as you can see here, it's got a cute little squirrel here, and you've got a couple options here. You've got play, info, and quit. And it's got a high score table, so it's got rocky, secret, screwy, slappy, and Nick Marentes is, uh, rounds out the <laughs> top five score here. Um, when you hit I for info, it says you are a squirrel and must collect enough nuts to survive the winter. Collect nuts while running through the course. Avoid green nuts that make you lose nuts. In higher rounds... The double nut will appear to help you. Use the left and right arrows to navigate the course. Course markers on the left will count down to the end of the course. Press any key to return to menu. And the nice thing about this is it does have a key repeat function. So it's not like using the old basic in key strings where you had to have to keep typing it. So you can hold down the left and right arrows. And it's basically a bottom up scrolling thing. Um, it's using semi-graphics, but it requires a Coco 3 because uh, of the paladin that he's doing here. But it looks good, right? Generating course. And I, I w actually was able to clear level 1 on this. So. <laughs> wow. <Must be. laughs> it's not, though. All right, so you got to get the white nuts. If you hit a green nut, you see... You didn't say how many attempts it took you. Well, it took me a while to realize that you could that the keys repeated because I was single tapping the keys, and that's not the most effective way to steer in this game. And so, and unfortunately, once you get down to zero, you got to start over, right? So, 
At least the good news is you won't die during the main game, but you'll die at the end if you don't collect enough nuts. You're good at getting the green ones. Yeah. I, I do like the fact that it actually has a square following your squirrel around. Too. Yeah, that's neat. Two layer graphics. So this can't be played on an MC10. Uh, well, Jim Gary, they mentioned in the Coco Crew podcast, Jim Gary did a port of this, so it probably just doesn't have the palleting. Oh. Uh, the there's Coco already an MC10 port. It's been out for like a couple days. Yeah, yeah. That's when you know you've really made it, when Jim Gary has ported one of your games. Yeah. <laughs> That's why Donkey Kong Remix hasn't really made it yet, because there's not a... <laughs> not a Jim Gary version, huh? I'm up to 11. Finish line. So I, I finish with 11. All right. Okay. It takes a little while to convert the graphics down to the Yeah. So it's cute, right? Graphics, man. And it says, you did not survive the winter. It is funny because the squirrel is dead. That's, <laughs> That's funny. Dead squirrels are eyeball. hilarious. Look at his eyeball. <laughs> yeah, it's got an X for an eye, right? So <laughs> looks like Jason the Coco Man's playing it too, huh? Oh, um, yeah. Hey, guys, I'm going to get you know, off here. Yeah. All right, John, enjoy the soup. Okay, yeah, soup break. And, and uh, <laughs> one question, uh, which you guys prefer, marked or dual color buttons on those joysticks? What was the question again? Color, for the left, right. right. Dual cut color buttons or just marked left right. I like the I like the dual. I color. like the dual colored myself because that kind of matches yeah. the deluxe joystick. Yep. One was red, okay. one was black. Yep. All right. Unless okay. it makes a huge cost difference. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll look for sources for those. Okay, I've got the some red ones stuff. come from Russia. <laughs> Uh, go with so we have a block game, right? Okay. Uh, have a great day, guys. Thanks, John. Right. Thanks for joining us. All right. Bye. Bye. Damn green nuts. Are those are those these like nuts? From, you know, he took time to put white on the belly and the tail of that squirrel. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Son of a bitch. <laughs> You're not going to go to the next level, are you? I mean, no, I'm not going to make it to level two this time, but we'll try it. No, I mean, where you stay going. tuned. Stevie rage quits another game. <laughs> That's right. Coming up. <laughs> Where's the hang up button? I'm pressing the button, Frank. <laughs> the squirrel's got no nuts. <laughs> the squirrel's got no nuts. It's. Uh... Hi this is oh. a female squirrel. This is kind of similar to the game he wrote for the uh, Rainbow Book Fifth Book of Adventures that never happened. Oh yeah. It's kind of like the you know the the contest that never was. Yeah, no, but it is. Um, it's it's fun. It's you know it's. I did a number of games like this where you know, in basic where if you just print on the screen it scrolls automatically, right? So you could do driving games where you could have a street and stuff like that. It was a real easy way to uh, printing is the fastest thing you can do. On, on the computer in BASIC is just to print. And scrolling the text screen is probably one of the fastest things you can do in BASIC as well. So um, you can print graphics characters by using the you know, CHR string. So if you figure out what your graphics are, you can put them into strings and print them on the screen with print at. And just, so manipulating and scrolling is pretty easy. Uh, you use the peek command to see what character is on the spot where you are. So you can you know, figure out collision detection with a single byte peek. Um, 
pretty easy. Matter of fact, this was this was my plan for my next version of Cosmic Aliens. Although it's not going to be actual semi-graphics, it's all going to be like alphanumeric text. Where I'm going to use like the letter A for a spaceship and exclamation points for laser beams and stuff like that. Um, but my next version of Cosmic Aliens will be all laser. Yes, will be all um, graphic like this. So there'll be a good one. a good chance that your your game will hit MC10 then. Yes. Yeah. That would be the plan. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna try to make it as close to stock color basic as possible. Cool. Although I'm I'm on the fence with using the play command because the sound command kind of sucks. I don't think there's a fence command. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I'm doing crap here. Yes, but anyways, wrong with that Compute Magazine must have published about a thousand games like that. Yeah. All right. So you get the idea here, right? I actually have done it once where I got more than uh, I got more than the thirty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, doohickeys. <laughs> yeah, I don't see a screenshot of that on the high score screenshots. I don't believe you. No, well, um, when I get it <laughs> next time, I'll have to put it up there. Right? So good job, Make Ken sure Riker. It didn't happen. So Very if you want to, if you want to get a copy of this, you can go to can c a n ken k e n make it dot com and get the link. And Ken's got a bunch of his other retro Coco games out there too. Um, so check it out. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. That's right. That's right. Double your money back. Double your money back. So what do ah, you guys we'll think of crazy. that? Three times your money back. I like That's it. That's a neat little game, right? It's a better game than I ever made. Hey. So good job, Ken Reichert. And so here's his website. Make sure you check that out, too. And also, speaking of some custom games from the community, friend of the show and 100% stakeholder of all the switcheroos sold to the country of Uruguay, Diego uh, Barizo uh, has is working on a game based off of XCOM. I'm not familiar with XCOM. Are you guys? I, I, the name sounds familiar, but I had no idea what the game was. Right. So it looks like a text adventure-ish. Right. UFOs have started appearing with disturbing regularity in the skies. Reports of violent human abductions and horrific experimentation struck terror into the hearts of millions. Wow. Um, oh, look at this. We've got some semi-graphics here. origin story. <laughs> so we've got a cyber disc, a heavily armored flying tank. Cyber discs can be controlled remotely by telepathy. Only by using a combination of grenades and laser fire will you have a chance to destroy it. So that is kind of neat. Um, so I'm not sure if this is turn-based or if this one you have to type things in. I'm not sure how it plays. But we'll have to check it out. Uh, health... 38 weapons laser file you're in a repair shop pieces of alien weapons and armor are scattered all over but nothing seems to be in working order the only exit is to the east the big bulk of a demolition high explosive is evident under the corpse of an XCOM trooper man this looks pretty interesting so we're gonna have to follow this and see I'm not sure if this is already ready to be downloaded or if it's here we go so his website is called YACCS, right? So yet another color computer site. So YACCS.info. So if you go there, you can get the disk file and you can get the basic file. I'm actually intrigued to check that out. And I, I've put links to all of these things we're discussing. They're all in the description of this video. So feel free to... Is anybody familiar with XCOM? Was that a popular game or was that a game that existed on other platforms? Anybody know? I'm not familiar I with it. I remember XCOM a PC was a terminal program, game, but I don't think I've ever played it. Okay. So check it out at yaccs.info. That's Diego's website. It looks is that, interesting. Is that sung by the village people? 
Y-A-C-C-S. <laughs> it's fun to stay at the Y-A-C-C-S. Yeah. Good one, Nick. Uh, everybody. Y-A-C-C-S. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's don't say we didn't. <laughs> you know where we can get a hat? <laughs> uh, so, okay. So, what is Robert Emerson? FCOM 2 came out last year. Um <laughs> Ken, Ken Reichard says that his game is free and overpriced. <laughs> <laughs> Honesty and advertising. <laughs> it's a ad free, you're paying too much. <laughs> oh goodness. So he's saying that XCOM t- Rob Inman says XCOM two XCOM two came out last year and that it is turn based. So that should be interesting. I, I'm and, and Diego, for those of you not familiar, also gave us that cat game. It was kind of like Angry Birds, the the furious felines. We had to throw the cats over the wall to catch the mice from getting the cheese. Um, so this, the, a couple discussions have come up on, on you know buying Coco threes and what the Coco threes sell for. What's a Coco three worth? It was mentioned on the Coco Crew podcast, um, which we'll get into. There's another um, link in here that's a good segue to that discussion. Um, but here's one, and this is from shopgoodwill.com, which I've never used. Has anybody used the shopgoodwill.com? I guess like it's Goodwill's version of eBay. I see people posting links to stuff from there from time to time, and they always start off at a seemingly good price, but I never know how they end up. I'm you almost used to be able to get good deals. Yeah. You used to be able to get good deals there. And then, uh, the eBay people started buying them so they could resell stuff. On oh, eBay. like, so people are buying them there to flip them, huh? Yeah. So this Paul Shoemaker had posted this, uh, and it was a link to a Tandy Coco three with the CM eight monitor. Uh, right now the current price is a $163, which honestly for the two of these is not That's a bad good. price. With the, with yeah. Even, even with $50 shipping, which I don't know that it would be. Um, I, I would say that, you know, $200 for Coco three and monitor is still a good price. Um, so anyhow, and so the minimum bid increment is $1, um, handling price is $4 and then you'd have to estimate shipping. So I guess you would have to plug in your, uh, area code or, you know, zip code, whatever it's called to figure out what that would cost. But, um, it, but the discussion is going to come up here in just a minute when I get to another posting about, you know, eBay listings and what people are asking for versus what we think it's worth. And at the end of the day, it's worth what it sells for, whether or not we like it, right? But I thought that was a great discussion that was on the Coco Crew this month too, that if somebody has a price that's listed and they say make offer, I mean, that is an option. So just because they're asking for, you know, 300, if you offered them 200, they may or may not take it. They're not guaranteed to take that offer, but sometimes people have that make offer option. But this seems like a decent price. And CM8s are pretty rare now, right? So they're not as common. Um, easily a CM8 could sell for 100 to 150 by itself. And uh, somebody says, well, is it worth it? Is a CM8 worth $100? Well, I think that's it's opinion at this point, you know, because it's how bad do you want it? How much money do you have to spend on it? You know, if you're really wealthy, then $150 doesn't matter. If you're tight for cash like me, 150 bucks is a lot of money, right? So... I guess that I guess money is somewhat relative, but it, when something's uncommon, which CMHs definitely are, and Coco threes are definitely becoming more uncommon, I think that price is going to continue to rise. But 
Right now for under 200, that looks like a pretty good deal. Um, I'm tempted to check it out, you know, just to see what the, uh, just to see what, uh, you know, what that whole shop goodwill thing's like. Um, anybody got any comments on, on this posting here before we move on to the next one? Anyone? Anyone? Going once, going twice. All right. So we Crickets. will move on. Sorry, Nick. What was that? Crickets. Crickets. There you go. All right. So uh, Christopher Cromwell has got a bunch of posts this week. And, and of course, then he, he commented earlier this morning saying he's not going to be able to make the show today. So we can talk about him. He's not here. <laughs> um, but one of the ones he was mentioning about, I guess he's had some uh, adventures in floppy land. And I wish David Ladd was here as our uh, export uh, expert consultant. But I think he ended up getting like a PC floppy connecting to a cocoa and got it to work. And I think the the bottom line question here is is if you have a cocoa SDC and a real floppy drive, how do you get them to work? And I think the answer was you do like no drive one or something like that, where you it's, said it's you drive said drive one come off or something like that. Something like there's a way to turn them off, right? So you would have to put the cocoa SDC in slot four of your multi pack, put like the floppy uh, other one in slot one. Make sure it's set to drive one on whatever it's cable select or however you did that, and then turn it turn off drive one in the Coco SDC because it's got virtual it's got two virtual floppies right, and then three and four are reserved for drive wire I think right it's so drive zero and, manual yeah okay so you could turn them off and then you can and I have done this and I know it, I know it's able to be done you can copy back and forth between physical floppies and disk images with the Coco SDC. So yeah, I think that was one of his questions. Matter of fact, Kevin Becker says drive zero comma off, then drive one comma my disk comma new will create and mount a new disk. Um, so there's a couple, couple ways to do that. But um, has anybody else had to do this where you've had to pass yeah. between physical and virtual? And, yes, and do it, it all the time. Yeah. yeah, and it works, right? Yep. yep. Yeah. And so you know the question comes up sometimes with floppy drives and. To me, I understand the need for a floppy when you've got physical disks that you need to access. That I completely get. Like if you've got your own personal, like I would love to find my original floppies with my games I made as a kid. I would love to be able to fly, find those, copy them over to the SDC and run them. So that part I get the need for that when you're managing, you know, physical disks. But other than that, what does anybody need a real floppy drive for anymore? And then that just becomes like, are you a glutton for punishment when you're like using a floppy on purpose and you don't have to? <laughs> um, you know, I know, I know there's some people that are just still into floppies and I, I see it as a means to an end. I need this floppy drive to get this file off of this disk to get it into my virtual disk, you know? Um, but and I'm sure David Ladd could give us a really long explanation of why we need floppies, but Anybody here have a good argument for using floppies on purpose? I live in the 80s. <laughs> What's that? I live in the 80s. I have You live in the 80s. <laughs> I use them currently. All, yeah. Most of all of my floppies that I have, and I probably have a thousand of them, they work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got about 700 that still work too. Wow. Yeah. I do like the sound of it, you know? I do like that kind of crunchy, grindy sound they make when you're pulling up a directory and loading files and stuff like that. And, you know, MAME does an okay job of it, but it's not the same, right? So there is something cool. There is something nostalgic of the sound of the motors spinning and the heads moving across the surface. So hopefully Chris has got um, all his stuff figured out by now. Now, this is one of the ones that you added. I was hope I was going to ask you about this, Curtis, because... Um, 
Richard Kelly posted this, and he's the guy who's making the uh, current disc magazines right now, right? Yeah. Um, so he was asking a question about Q-Man, is it public domain? And do you know the answer to that, Curtis? I thought it was, but I was thinking of actually of, um, uh, what the heck's his name, Mike Rowe. It's, uh, he did a, another port of Qbert back in the day. That, that's what I was thinking of. Q-Man is actually from Genesis Software. Okay. Before this, did you know graphical adventure games and basic like the Enchanted Forest and a few others. Okay. It's not been officially released that I know of. I was thinking of a different one. Okay. And it looks similar to a lot of Qbert clones of the time. Um, and I guess says he's posted the disc image anyway. So if somebody does not have Qman, um, there is a disc image for it. So whether or not it is public domain is to be determined, but. Um, there is a link to it, so if you haven't tried it, you might want to try it out. And this is one of the ones you've added to your website, Curtis? I think it was this one, yeah. There's another yeah. one I'll be adding soon, too, that's not on there, another Qbert clone, the one I was thinking of originally when he asked the question. Hmm, okay. Which is publicly released. I do have permission from the author on that one. Okay, okay. So it looks interesting. Qbert's always been a kind of a fun game. It was fairly, um, you know, fairly out of the box for its time. Uh, what are we missing here in the sidebar here? Um, <laughs> Ken Record says the CM8 doors are even rarer. <laughs> you know, finding one with, with the door, right? Um, uh, Jason Down says some sellers will take offers on stuff that's just up for auction. He got an MC10 for cheap that way the other day. I actually did a similar thing too where I bought an entire bundle um, one time. What do you got there, Curtis? That's the, the ad for q ad from Rainbow. Wow. The- Q Man, huh? Sometimes yeah, it was the first uh, machine language game this this company Genesis Software ever released. All the other stuff was extended basic. Okay, and that's cool. Yeah, I think it was. I got a Coco Two and a floppy drive and a bunch of stuff. And uh, you know, um, I, I forgot what they wanted. I think they wanted two fifty or something, which wasn't a terrible price. But I think I offered them like a hundred or something. I offered, I lowballed them, and I think they countered, and I got it for like half of what it was listed for. So, um, you know, it can be done. It definitely can be done. Um, so Q-Man, we're not sure if it's public domain, but it's out there. Hopefully he's added it to the Color Computer Archive as well. Uh, good looking screenshots there. Um, our, our very own Rondell Vo, celebrity uh, interview wrangler, has uh, come up with some shirt, our logo ideas for, for Coco Fest this year, right? So the 28th annual last Chicago Coco Fest Coco Fest 2019. Um, uh, make the trek. I like that tagline there. Make the trek, right? That's kind of cool. And I think John Linville posted a picture of his own version of like Spock uh, doing the old, whole nanu nanu thing, touching the heron, right? So um, we got 39 candles. So here, so this is the critique here that this Coco is the newer Coco without the Ram badge. That's the complaint right now. Yeah. Seems like Nick Marinti's always find something to complain about, doesn't he? Yeah. He can't. He can't. He can't bitch about OS nine at the moment. So he's gonna find something else. <laughs> well, I figured if you're gonna put one code, yeah. then yeah. Uh, at least put the first one. Yeah, the the most classicist. Yeah, the, the original. Yeah. yeah. Make sure just, it's a seaboard too. Yeah. <laughs> well, it doesn't really matter the board, but as long as it it looks like an original right. one, so you can say right. You know, from the beginning, and then you assume sure. And and for those who aren't aware, the first generation silver cocos that that TRS eighty badge that centered is off to the left, and then in the right hand corner here is the RAM badge, uh, 
which was basically covering the hole that had the modem light when this used to be the uh, video text terminal, right? So yeah. And the also the other minor cosmetic change is that the black around the keyboard is expanded to that little indentation. Oh, the, the entire bezel area here is yeah. black. Instead yeah. of the inner black, you've got it next to me here. Yeah. Okay. So these are nice designs. This is a mock-up of what it would look like on a T-shirt. Uh, Good-looking logo there. keyboards on that? Is that a chiclet? It is, is it? I can't. Yeah, he's got. Yeah, he's got the melty yeah. keyboard on there too. So it's just oh, also. The melted. Yeah, so that's yeah. wrong. Well, yeah. it's not wrong. Well, I've... it's not Good original. Again, Nick. Yeah, Nick's complaining. <laughs> Half the people <laughs> in Belize won't even know. <laughs> but the other half will and yeah. then here's here's uh here's his um uh, may the 4th right so may the 4th be with you so may 4th and 5th is the date so that's another one um may i, I, I was the one who pressured him on the date thing because all the rainbow fest ones and most of the early coco fest ones all had dates and that helps me remember the show like if i remember if it was in april or it was in may this year or whatever that i don't know why but it helps me yeah. you know, the memories of what happened at the show because we're old. Yep. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so now this is 39 years, right? right. Now I have uh, um, both versions of uh, uh, there's a BIN file you can download and put it on your machine. How do you spell that, by the way? Um, you have to look. BIN? What? Um... That uh, looks good. Now maybe this is a good segue to play a couple of Bruce Moore's tracks, some uh, sure. some proposed uh, theme music to go oh, along with this. Yep. Part part of the reason it has candles in '39 and it had that other saying on there was because he had uh, influence. Yes, yes. So we should so, also mention John Linville, the current president of Glenside, that's taking these submissions for the upcoming fest. As it's mentioned, correct. that they want a deadline at the end of this week for having the final designs. Okay, okay. So we have 39 and holding. So let me click on this. And uh, this is a Dropbox. And I can just hit play, Bruce? Uh, I, think so. I think so. 39 and holding. Retro never gets old. where the DJs do their talking over. That's right. This year at Kobe Fest is going to be a blast. Come on out and talk to the pretty ladies. What Coco Fest are you going to? What Coco Fest are you attending? I don't count David Ladd and Drag to be part of that. Now, you sent me two different links. Are they both the same thing, Bruce? Oh, that was the same thing. Okay. Are you going to get a live rendition of this right now? Hold on one second. Let's uh, let's do it live here. Let's let's make Bruce the spotlight here. You're gonna do make the track. Yeah. We're gonna do it live. Hey, he took off his bulletproof vest now too, so yeah, he's feeling. Yeah, it's, it's the, the crisis is over. Coco okay. Fest, make the track to the place you belong, Illinois. Here's the point. Make the <laughs> Coco Fest. And this is where the DJ talks. 
And this is what DJ talks. Come on down to yeah. Coco Fest and meet all the pretty girls. That's right. And get your uh, and get your switcheroos. Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Uh, excellent. 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 All right. So we're going back to Rondell Vos doohickey thingamabobby here. All right. So uh, so far, I think this is probably other than John Linville's hand-drawn sketch. This is one of the first entries into the Coco Fest. Uh, uh, a logo or first, submission, first right? Second. First and second. And I think um, last year it was um, um, Garcia. What's, what's his name? Right. Uh, Carlos. Not, right. ah, damn it. What's his name? I keep forgetting. Camacho. Not Carlos Camacho, but... Salvador. Salvador Garcia. There we go. Thank you. Salvador Garcia did the, the uh, Fusion logo for last year, too. So there was two logos. There was one that Salvador did with all the hardware kind of emanating from the cocoa, and then Ron had his as well. Thank you. Having a brain freeze there. Thank you, John Strong there. So this question came up, and I know some people chimed in on it, and I don't know that we got the final um, examples of what the pokes were, but the question was, could we use the get and put command or the equivalent of a get and put command when we're in a semi-graphics or text mode. And I know I had done this back in the day. I don't remember how I did it, but I did it. And so I thought we've got some experts here. Maybe you guys could chime in on it. But um, I recall setting my computer in basic to be the P mode four comma one screen and then doing a poke and then it became black and green with a black border, like a text screen. Yeah, and I could still, room. what's that? You're talking about the alternate color set? Not the alternate color set, no, but semi graphics. I actually turned. I I started off by turning my cocoa in basic into P mode four comma one, and then I did some pokes that made it a black bordered semi graphic screen, and I could put stuff up on the screen that would show up with the various variations of text and the nine colors. Yeah. Um, All you should but, have to do is change the VDG setting. I think. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah. don't know what the pokes are. But four comma something. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's SD12, SD24 modes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, because I remember I had, I had, I don't remember where I got them, but I actually got a hold of some fonts too, where I could draw these fonts in on a P mode four screen and then switch to the semi graphics mode. And they weren't the same fonts, but they came out green on black perfectly. Somehow the bit patterns lined up where I actually was able to put custom, you know, look, looking like text based fonts on the screen, but they were drawn with the P mode four draw command. Um, and getting colors, um, and, but I was still manipulating things as if I was in P mode four, so I could get and put and scroll and and move. However, it had to be on you know eight pixel borders because with the text screen everything is you know uh, you know one byte at a time. So it, it it definitely can be done. I just don't remember all the steps to do it. And well, if the computer thinks it's in the P mode, okay, it's going to grab and move the data around like it's in a P mode. Mm -hmm. No matter what you've done, so if you've done a poke that changes the the uh, VDG mode, mm -hmm. and the Coco doesn't know about it. It's just going to go on. Basic's going to move it around exactly the way it did before. Okay, and so those features, those things will function. Maybe not necessarily how you wanted to do because the Coco still think it's working on that right, that, right. That P mode screen. And so, yeah, you could do a get and put, uh, but it may not always give you what you're expected to get. Right. You had to move it on byte boundaries to keep the contents 
uncorrupted because if not if you yeah. start doing bit shifting they're going to change dr uh, dramatically right because Plus, um, if you're doing hand and or and, and that kind of stuff on your put right straight yeah. results um yeah i remember doing a smooth vertical scroll no problem because you're just doing one you know 32 bytes at a time and for horizontal scrolling i had to do eight you know eight bits at a time or one byte at a time so you had to you know basically your same 32 column uh, apply yeah, even, even multiples of one byte you can't do the pixel offsets like you would do right that. right 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 so um it can be done i don't know if you got the exact answer but i figured we had enough brilliant minds here that if you guys had anything else to add to that question, we can get maybe yeah. add some more information to that, it. That one of my stupid Nitrous Nine tricks about getting and putting the text screens like the eighty and forty column screens is kind of using the same technique. It's kind of fooled into thinking it's running a graphic screen and it just copies a text screen. Hmm. Cool. Cool. So it can be done, and hopefully we'll get the exact answer at some point in time in this thread. So that question came to us from David O'Connor, who's been in the live chat before as well. Um so good stuff. So here, so this this question came up, and I don't know if this is what fueled the Coco Crew podcast discussion or if it was just uncanny timing. But Christopher Cromwell, again, who's not able to watch us live today, so we can talk about him. Um, so somebody's posted a Coco Three on eBay, and the list price right now is two forty nine, but there is a make offer button and includes free shipping now it, it costs at least 20 to 30 dollars to ship a cocoa in the u.s depending on how you pack it and stuff like that so you got to figure is add add or subtract a minimum of 20 to 30 dollars from the price so 250 for a cocoa now um so the question becomes and the and the topic on the cocoa crew podcast this month was if somebody says make offer that doesn't mean it's going to sell for the listing price Right, so if you weren't aware of that, uh, that is an option. Now, what they they may tell you to go screw yourself when you make them an offer. They may or may not. Um, but uh, what do you guys think about? The, so here's the discussion. What is a Coco Three worth in general? Whatever you're willing to pay for it. Right, and this yeah. is a stock 128k Coco Three. I know what they average, but what is it worth? I think that's a that's a very subjective question, right? Because what it's worth is up to the individual, right? Yeah. And some people How, might be fussy. They, they might want the 87 gimme version versus the 86 gimme version or whatever, too. So. Right. And we and you kind of have no way of knowing, right? There's no way to tell by is there is there a set of serial numbers that we could look at to say if it's, if it's higher if this if it's this number in the series it's automatically an 87 gimme. I um, know if you have to take a look at the, either the copyright uh year date in, on the gimme chip itself which means you'd have to look through the ventiles or take the case off yeah. or you'd have one of socks you know demos that actually has differentiation between two. there's some sort of sim a software timing test you can do to figure it out that sock think, master yeah. builds in some demos i mean it looks really clean it looks super clean um and even there you can see on the inside there it looks really clean and shiny um very minor yellowing on some of the otherwise white keys of clear and enter the case is pretty good um it looks to be a good good clean coco 3. so so one of the discussions that came up on the coco crew coco crew podcast was you know if there's a make offer option make them an offer and see what happens and so you might be able to get it for less um if the seller is trying to sell it quick as opposed to trying to make the most money on it then they'll sometimes take you up on your offer and you can actually get it cheaper than the list price 
Yeah. Hey, David Ladd has joined us as one of his alter egos, Paco Otakta. Hey, David Ladd, how are you? Hey, David Ladd, what have you been up to lately? Oh, I'm much happier breaking stuff. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> um, and then uh, Adam Coolidge says, I just shipped a Coco 2 for $11.70. Okay, so he got a good shipping on there. Eleven seventy-five. Okay, so now look on my screen. I have uh, a basic program that identifies the gimme. In this case, it says nineteen eighty-seven gimme sixty hertz two sixty-three scan lines. Okay, neat. Neat. So there, there is a software in, in the utilities on the bundle you can get download. Okay, so there's a way identify there. it. Yep. Yeah, but is a eBay seller going to do that? Well, they could. They could, but yeah, it's up I'd to say the no. Yeah. So I I would say that yeah, two fifty is kind of high for the asking price, especially when they say untested. I, um, I got a question. Yes. What what is the big thing about eighty six or eighty seven? It, it, it's, I mean, there's hardly any function problem, right? Anybody want to <laughs> take that for Ron? There there is timing differences on how some of the IRQs and stuff are handled, which if the program or game or whatever was hard-coded for one of the gimmies, it will distort and do some strange things, depending on the game. Most don't. So 96% uh, of all games never have a problem with it? Well, I know, like, for example, Sockmaster's demos, until he patched them, uh, they would completely not work properly on the 86 gimme. Now, he's got 87 and 86-friendly versions now, but if you remember when they first came out, yeah, they didn't work at all properly. Okay. So it depends. But not a lot. No, most people aren't pushing the hardware that hard. <laughs> yeah. The one I, thing I knew was the sparkly effect. We got the little white sparklies on the screen on certain games. Yeah, because of the timing difference. Well, Sorry, and, John Strong. Go ahead. Yeah, and the sparklies if it's depending on what they're writing to, you know, depending on it to do. You know, usually I do a sync or something, you know, lock it to the vertical trace before writing. And uh, when you change your palettes and things like that. And so that gets rid of it on either one. But, uh, you know, there is some differences that, that can show up. Like uh, he said, if you're pushing things. Yeah. Like one thing I remember is that the 86 gimme, if you're using the timer FIRQ, I think it's, you can only get it down to a certain number of cycles minimum before it'll trigger, and it's one different than what the 87 gimme can do. So if you're trying to do a really fine timing at a really fast speed, that it actually will miss the interrupt entirely. So let me ask you, when Radio Shack produced the color computer in, in 86 or 87 when it switched to the newer ones, it wasn't like there wasn't a recall or, you, you know, if you had your no. machine serviced no. No. for you? So it wasn't considered bad, right? Or a radio shack just being cheap. <laughs> One of the two. No, I don't think it was considered a bad thing. It's just a, it's just kind of an improvement. So are there many more 87s out or 86s? Or I would say 87s equal? because every Coco manufactured once the 87 came out right through till 1991, all used the 87 gimme. So only the first oh, okay. years would have been 86s. So 86s are somewhat rare. Yeah. Somewhat rare, and depending on the program, may or may not pre present some visual anom anomalies on some of the games that are really pushing it harder. Is that... Uh, yeah. 
basically. I think the 86 was more um, fussy with the speed of the RAM as well on 512K um, upgrades. And, and then there's the uh, dual field mode and the hidden 256 color mode. Mm. <laughs> that, that's on the 88. Model. That's on the 88, <laughs> Gimme, which is extremely rare. Yeah. So cool stuff, cool stuff. So, so the the question. Getting back to the question, though, what what do you guys on the panel at least feel a like Coco Three is worth? I reckon around three hundred. As is for a stock one twenty eight k. That's uh, well, I bought I bought one for two hundred and forty only uh, just before Christmas. One twenty eight. US dollars or Australian dollars? Nick? Well, that's Australian. So, so yeah, it's like, about yeah, three hundred bucks. But I figured it was, to me, it was worth having a, a spare Coco 3. So, mm -hmm. you know, if I don't buy it, someone else will. So I, I bought it and I got it. So back yeah. in the late 90s and early 2000s, did, didn't uh, um, Cloud9 sell theirs for like 50 bucks? You can buy a new Coco 3. Well, it was definitely cheaper. Different I, grades. I picked, I picked one up uh, in the early 90s for... I think it was twenty five bucks. Yeah, I got mine from they, Cloud. They were cheap then. I bought and one for then, well, yeah, that was before they, they became rare. Right. And when uh, eBay first came around, I think they were they started going for about fifty bucks, and then it was seventy five, and then it was a hundred, and and I think they're going around at least one hundred and fifty now. Yeah, yeah I would say on average. Yeah, I mean. Back in the uh, 80s, when I bought my um, Coco 3 from Radio Shack, um, I paid 450 for it. So wow. even 300 bucks is cheap, as far as I'm concerned. So. Yeah, it's 329 yeah. I think, here in I Canada. I got a really good deal on my last one. It was free. <laughs> yeah. I traded so, mine, too. I traded one for a new one in the box. I um so I got one uh, maybe a year ago and it was untested or they even said not working right and this is when I was trying to get an eighty seven gimme because I had an issue with the Ed Snyder RGB to S video adapter so I was trying to get an eighty seven gimme and so it said Coco three not working and I think they wanted a hundred and forty dollars for it or whatever it was but what or whatever I think they wanted a hundred plus forty to ship. And, and but there was a make offer and i basically said to him listen if you can give it to me with shipping for a hundred dollars i would gladly take it and i would do a, a buy now and they accepted that so i got a coco 3 with with shipping for a hundred bucks and it turned out it still had the 86 gimme but it was a working coco 3 and i put memory in there and i think i sold it to somebody in my florida retro club who needed a coco 3 so i got him one with an upgrade actually no he, i tried to get an upgrade from coco fest and they were sold out so, but I sold him one and I said, look, I paid a hundred bucks for it. I'm going to give it to you for a hundred bucks. And I sold, again, I was just kind of paying it forward. Somebody needed a Coco 3. I had a good deal on it and I just, you know, was able to pass that on to somebody else. So I consider that a good price, you know, a working Coco 3 for a hundred bucks. Um, it also depends on the condition. I mean, if the, if the thing is yellow, like someone's pistol all over it and the keyboard's going <laughs> yeah. where is grant leady when we need well, him right? that, so. that sort of lowers the, uh, the value down you're not going to buy a yellow coco three um at top dollar 
<laughs> and see, for no, me, okay. because I want functioning Cocoa 3s, that matters less to me. Like, mine is somewhere yeah. I could care less. If it runs, that's all I care about. Yeah, it depends yeah. if you're well, a collector yeah. or a user. I think also affects your what you ex- presume. Uh, I'm, I'm a user, man. I'm a user. I'm a user, man. Right. Well, what what you got to figure now is is if you're going to get an uh, a Coco three, you're probably going to want a RAM upgrade, and you're probably going to want a sixty three oh nine upgrade too. Again, unless you're a purist, but if you want a Coco three that you want to be able to beat on and play on and do all the current and future things. You kind of want a two meg sixty three oh nine cocoa, which means it's going to have to be opened. It's going to have to be modded to a degree, and so now you're looking at additional expense too, right? So whatever the stock cocoa three costs you, you're looking at fifty dollars for RAM um, and you know CPU upgrade uh, plus labor if you're not a do-it-yourselfer. So you're looking at adding an extra hundred dollars to the cost of that cocoa, right? So if you put a hundred hundred fifty in plus upgrades, now you're looking at two fifty. Three hundred dollars for a fully loaded cocoa. I don't think that's a terrible price. Three hundred dollars for a loaded cocoa. You know, people pay more for cars they collect than what they pay yeah. for cocoa. So yeah, you know, a collector will will pay it because you know he wants it. He's going to pay for it. Right. But I mean, at the end of the day, people are going to sell things. Uh, there, are, you can tell right away when, at least when I look at an eBay listing. This is a person who doesn't know what something's worth and they think they're sitting on a little piece of gold and they're going to get money for it, right? Because they put the word yeah. vintage and retro in the description. They're not... Um, Steve, Steve Jobs, rare. Yeah, right? So <laughs> sometimes people just figure, oh man, this is rare. This is vintage. I'm going to, you know. Um, and there are those who are do it all the time. They kind of know what these things are worth. So what I would, what I would also just do a shameful plug at this time for Carlos Camacho in the Color Computer Store. At least you know if you buy from him, He's tested it. He's cleaned it. He's recapped it. He's done whatever needed to be done to make it Retro as good as it's going to get, you know. So, um, all right. Have then, we beat this then, one to death? Uh, well, well, then there's people who think, oh, well, it's a 30-year-old computer, so surely that's only 10 bucks now. Well, yeah. But, you know, the fact that there's only about two of them left in the world, well, they don't factor that in. Um, I think just, people are desirable as a – I think people look at eBay – and see what other people are selling theirs for, and then they put theirs up for a comparable price or just slightly lower. So that would be the smart thing to do. It depends on what people are prepared to pay. Yeah. yeah. When there's one person asking a stupid, crazy price, then suddenly there's 12. Hmm. Yeah. Mark Overholzer says, the two Coco 3s I just found on eBay sold in the last three months for 119 or 120 bucks and 170 bucks roughly. So... So that's They're all, cheap. All in the same kind of ballpark. All right. I could, I could even give you the link. Yeah. They well, are getting rare. Hey, Robert, thanks for joining us. Yeah. We're getting ready to get up to your stuff here in just a minute here, so that's good timing too. Um, all right. Yeah. So so I think this just kind of ties in with uh, with the Coco Crew discussion topic and um, – and just the question, and I don't think anybody in this case here. I don't think Chris was complaining because somebody else says, "Listen, you can't whine about prices." I don't think he was whining. He's just kind of saying, "Look, this is uh, this is kind of expensive," and you know, it is got, what it is. I got a hardware question. So since we're still talking about the Coco Three, um, if you got a Coco Three and the keyboard's bad, and you have a couple of Coco Twos, could you use a Coco Two keyboard on the Three? And yes. It, will it make any difference that there is no uh, F keys or anything? Only for the software requiring those keys. But it'll work just fine? Yeah. Okay. 
but you if you needed to do the composite if you needed to do the, do the composite you know red and blue color flip-flops yeah you won't with, have the f1 key to hold down you won't have the you won't have the ability to do that huh probably hit reset right but it does, on the Coco 3, no, it, the red and blue colors are always the same unless you hold down F1 during the reset. Yeah, you wouldn't so, be able to buy one of Ed's new keyboards. So yeah. You keep, you keep starting the computer until you get the color you want? You no, won't, I mean, yeah. it always comes yeah. up the same you, on can, Yeah, if you stare at it long enough and stare at it cross-eyed, the colors might switch. Yeah, <laughs> maybe so. if you drop acid, maybe that's the other option. <laughs> I think, can you do a poke to change the... Uh, you might be able to do a poke before, yeah. Change the phase via a poke, and yeah, then I mean that's what the F one key is doing. It's just that's all it's doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess technically, yeah, you could do that. All right, thanks all right. For, so, thanks so for we we have beat the uh, what's the Coco three worth discussion to death. I don't know that we have a solid answer, but yeah. anywhere between one, 100 to three hundred dollars. So. Oh, go, go, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay. The one thing I wanted to mention that John brought up that I don't think everybody's aware of, though, is the fact that if you have that make an offer bid, then use that to your advantage. You can get stuff cheaper than the list price if you think it is too much. If the person is trying to get rid of it as quick as possible, then... Yeah, if they're reasonable. Yeah. Especially if they've put the price higher than normal, trying to get as much as they can, and no one's one's biting. Do a make bid, you know, go a bit lower. And the guy might say, well, obviously um, no one's interested and this guy has shown interest and okay, I'll accept. Now yeah. I can unload it, yeah. I, I mean, has any John's main point was, you yeah. know, don't forget that option's there if it is. Yeah. I mean, has anybody ever sold anything before at a yard sale or like an auto trader magazine back in the day or anywhere else? You know what you want for something. You're always going to advertise it for a little bit more and hope somebody's going to talk you down yeah, but yeah, you're, they're right. going to talk you down to the price you wanted to in the first place right yeah, yeah so right. um that's not an uncommon sales tactic is to you know uh, you know say i want this much for it and let them haggle you down so they feel like they're saving some money and you got the price you wanted anyways right <laughs> you know if you <laughs> average in the first place yeah. right if you wanted 100 bucks for something and you have your starting price at 100 and somebody wants to haggle you down to 50 you're now going below what you wanted but if you post it for 150 and you say look i'll do you a favor i'm gonna take 50 bucks off boom you got your sweet spot anyways right um so i and it's like there's certain things that have been listed and relisted over and over again because the people want way too much money for it like that 300 dollars new york times coco 2 that had the uh asset tag on it you know that thing was listed forever and it just i don't think i don't know if it ever sold um so there's sometimes people will just keep relisting things and they just don't get the clue that they're asking too much and you know, it just doesn't sell. And um, if it's got a box, that adds a hundred bucks to it. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> all right. So another another uh, thing that was posted recently uh, was uh, Stephen Fisher posted a link that the 2011 C compiler chain has been uploaded to the Color Computer Archive. Uh, this is the Climax C compiler project that the discussion resulted into back in 2011. The post describing the project is here on Color Computer Archive. So this is not CMOC, but this is a C compiler. So I'm not it's, sure how it's it the varies. It's the C compiler, and basically people over the years have done many patches and improvements to it. They added 609 support, they added an ANSI front end, and a whole bunch of other things. But it was pieces here, pieces there by different people, and, and what Stephen did was amalgamate all the updates into one package so that you get the most up-to-date native C compiler under OS 9. Okay. So this one runs on the Cocoa, unlike CMOC, which is kind of like a cross-compiler. It runs outside of the Cocoa? Yeah, this this one runs under OS 9 or Nitro Okay. 
Okay, and that is available on the Color Computer Archive. Uh, there are links in the description of this video for you to it grab that. It will be on that. EOU eventually, too. I think we've got pieces of it on there right now, but I don't know if we have all the up-to-date pieces, so I think Bill's working on that side of things. Okay, very cool. So we got that going for us. And here he has joined us now, Robert. Robert, how would you pronounce your last name? Is it Sieg or Seig or Seg? Sieg. Robert Sieg, you're back with us. You were with us a week or so ago, too, where you are showing us some MC10 stuff. Yeah. Um, and um, you, you, now, is this a utility that you wrote yourself to do this image conversion? Yeah, it is. And now, does this run on the Cocoa, or is this running on outside of the Cocoa, like on a PC? Actually, I run it. <laughs> I actually did it for the MC10. But yeah, the MC10. I said Cocoa, but yeah. Um, so, it, but is is the conversion running outside of the MC10? So you run the conversion on a PC, or is it no, running? I was trying to figure out how to make graphics for uh, these uh, two two bits per pixel, and there is not a lot of stuff out there. And uh, kind of uh, after a period of time of trying to do it, it dawned on me a way to uh, convert. Uh, 24-bit um, BMPs over to 2-bit. Uh, okay. 2 bits per pixel. It just dawned on me how to do it, so I wrote this, wrote this program and and uh, basically convert a a BMP to a binary file loaded into the emulator and run the program and it transforms it into that. Oh, so it's actually neat. running on the MC10. Yeah. Converting program. But uh, I did use uh, the MCX um, in the emulator. You can you can run the MCX. It it has a little more expanded uh, basic like like PSET. It supports high res graphics. Yeah. Okay. And a, and a few other nice features like else. Else, yeah, right. I know Ken Reichert was was complaining about that one point in time, and and so the, you have a couple of different options you've done here. Where some of it's a little bit got some solid shading, some of it's a little bit more dithered. What's what's the difference here in getting some of these different versions? I kind of like them both. I don't think there's a bad choice here. Yeah, the uh, well, the first one there was um, the one on the far I, left is done on the Coco Three, right? No, no. The, uh, the far, <laughs> oh yeah, that's, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's in the two hundred fifty-six color mode. So yeah. Yep. And then, uh, okay, so the. I'm not entirely pos positive, but that that one uh, in the middle is uh, uh, more mathematically true. Okay. But in actuality, that's not really true either, because if you run though the color, because the color computer, well, at least most of them only have four colors. Um, when you do a when it uses the RGB to do the transformation. And since the color choices were so poor, they it gets more selected like black and white, so it chooses like two colors. So you have to run a, uh, an, a I don't know if anybody's familiar with this equation that you run. Um, it's because the the red and the uh, the red tends to dominate the any of the darker colors. So you have to write this equation where you force red to be chosen less. Ah, so uh, okay. And you, you do a multiplier that 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 makes it so it'll choose better, and that's that middle picture right there. That's what that the result of that middle picture. Because once I got it totally mathematically correct, it was like it was like red and yellow, 
And then okay. I had to, I had to kind of research that <laughs> as to as to why. I was like, well, I was really proud of it, but yet it was just red and yellow. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then, um, I wrote in uh, at first. I was having problems like uh, turning the R the RGB to uh, like getting it to match. So anyway, the third one, the third image, which obviously has more depth, is um, dithered. You know, with uh, yeah. it's got the four colors. And then you, what you do is you take and well, what I did at first was uh, you take the two colors like um, uh, green and yellow and you combine them to create another color hmm. and then you and then you analyze that color you can do that on paint or whatever program you want and it'll give you the rgb for that new mixed color and that is actually what your dither value is so then you you have a total when you're done with that you'll have 10 values you'll have actually four colors with uh eight more dithers and then yeah. So then that's. And then you good. kind of run your math. You run your math across a pattern of ten instead of four. Yeah. Ten, so, ten possible do, pixel choices. Do you have a, Do you have an explanation of this uh, in a blog post or something? No, I just did this. Just, it, just <laughs> it actually literally just dawned on me like four. I think it was like three or four days ago, and I just wrote this program. It yeah. was. It was pretty interesting. It is. So, so I have a question. Since you're running this natively on the MC10, how long does it take to render one of these two fifty-six color? Well, okay, with the with the four with the four uh, colors, it's obviously obviously doesn't take quite as long because that program just has. Okay, so the big problem was is that that let's say you got your MC10 color, you got one RGB. You got well, let's just say four RGB values. And you, so you take the four times three. You got 12 values compared to um, all the dots in the in the you know, you got your target and you got your the one you're getting all the values from. So you com you have to compare those two and find the closest match, right? So what I did is I took I took the original value and I put in a variable and I subtract I I subtract the differences or add the differences and then when you're done the one that has the smallest value is the closest match. And then that's the pixel you select and you, and you put well, it in. How long does it take to do the processing? About on the, on the uh, four colors, probably at, well, actually I run it at 800, you know, percent. So, um, maybe on maybe an emulator. Yeah. On the emulator, probably 10 minutes. And then when you run it on the, uh, all 10, it probably takes, it takes longer. I just did one of uh, of Stephen while you guys were talking. So, so ten minutes. So it uh, takes ten wait, minutes wait. at ten minutes at eight hundred percent. Yeah. So it would take it would take it would take eighty uh, minutes at normal speed. But but once you're done, then you can save it as a as a machine language file. Yeah, as a bin file. Have, you don't have to do it again. So. Yeah. Yeah, I just was wondering how long it actually took to, re to render. You're saying so, the 80 minutes are higher. 80, 80 minutes on the four-color pass, and the 10-color pass would be even longer because it's got more calculations. Yeah. Are, so, are these 8K? Six. Oh, six no, actually, because yeah. It is six because of the limitation of the MC10. Well, actually, no, they're not It'd six. It'd be 3K right. then. If, if I was using the, the broken screen, if you use the, the screen that's not quite completed, it's six, almost 6K or 6K. It would be 6K. And if they had completed the screen, it would have been 8, 8K. 
But the one that's more, the one that's better to use is the uh, 128 by 96. Yeah, it's like P mode one. 128 uh, pixel by 96 pixel. Mm-hmm. But and the nice thing about that screen is that it is uh, um, just as can't think of the word. Um, the pixels are uniform. The pixels, yeah, they're are square. square. They're very square. They're square yeah. yeah, but if you want to do dithering, the uh, flattened pixels of the the uh, what P mode three, yeah, work out better because they're yeah. The problem with yeah. the P mode three is that you have to do a hardware modification to exactly. Yeah, yeah. To do is that on P mode three? I don't think we yeah. have P mode three P-Mode, on, even on the MCX. Uh, the MCXE left left it out of the basic because the hardware doesn't have it. Oh, I use it anyway. So <laughs> I, actually, yeah. I actually did do a few of those. Um, but uh, again, the bottom I is I think he did. Yeah. I mean, yeah it's he, a, did. he did. It's definitely just, a neat project. Yeah, it's fun. And that's cool. Well, yeah. And it'd, it'd be kind of cool that when they're done, if you could save out the bin files and, and, and share yeah, I, those where somebody can I, just load those up. Yeah. I have uh, all the bin files. Yeah. Now, one, one nice little quirk, I think it was you that mentioned it, is that uh, Facebook's uh, face recognition software actually recognized your four-color images as faces, didn't it? Somebody yeah, it mentioned did. that. Yeah. It did. Not... Yeah. That was kind <laughs> of something. Spooky. I thought that was spooky. <laughs> <laughs> Facebook can see beyond the then pixel. Once it, once it was dithered, it didn't recognize it anymore. Hmm. Uh, cool stuff, cool stuff. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to add to that? Um, hey, my cat needs water. <laughs> I'm working on I'm working on a lot of stuff, so I mean, it, it'll probably just wait and. You know, Are you going to make a Facebook group or something to put your stuff on or to <laughs> post your uh, files? Um, wait, Ron, you don't have a Facebook group for that already? <laughs> well, no, not yet. No. no, not yet. Anyway, but we so, need a few well, more. They're in the MC10 group. Oh, so. oh and, and another thing. Another thing I realized I can do. I just realized this. I was gonna. I'm working on another way of uh, converting um, the semi graphics to. Believe it or not, I, I, I thought of a way to do uh, 30. Um, the 24 bit to do the conversion over, and to find the cl- the closest match. In semi graphics, hmm. you get more colors at once. Ah, there you go. You, yeah, you won't get any more colors. It's just it's it's just gonna help you do some. Uh, like, let's say you have a, a a big, huge pixelated squirrel or something. And, uh, <laughs> Hypothetically speaking, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you talking the higher semi graphics modes here too? Like, if you're trying to do like, semi-graphics higher modes? or lower? Hey, with the one on the Coco, you could do that one where you, you can apparently you can. Uh, what? How are you doing that with that squirrel? program oh that's or that other that was the other the other program where you got you said you could the horizontal is uh less than the vertical the vertical is by 192 basically is what you're doing it's it's how do you is that using uh interrupt or something no that's just semi-graphics higher res mode where it takes more it does one scan line per text character basically you don't have to do your your 128 uh graphics block characters so you can that should ex- work on the MC10 too, I, I would believe. I mean, obviously the 6K screen wouldn't work, but the 3K, you should be able to get 64 by 96 by eight color or nine color. 
Was that like SG6 instead of SG12? SG12. Oh, so he's making that happen through that. Okay. Far, far, far but, uses SG12. That's how does he get? How does he get the text on the screen then? Well, the text characters are built in. You basically you're, you're just taking two oh, pixel high strips of all the characters you can produce, including the character string 128 and above graphics characters, but also all your text characters below. It okay. basically just segments them, and then you can put them in wherever you want. I'm gonna have yeah. to look that up. Yeah, you can do a slice of a text character. Matter of fact, what was it? Guardian, one of those games that did like a Defender game. Actually protectors had little too. Protectors had like little animated people waving their hands and stuff. Where which is a combination of like an A character on the top line flashing on and off and yeah. So yeah, I don't think that. I'm thinking the MC10 can't do that, but it'd be it'd be cool if it could. I'd like to find out. James, do you know if it supports the semi-graphics modes fully? I would assume it would, uh, except for the ones that takes well, it. Only the ones that uh, don't require the SAM. Yeah. The, okay, so that's like SG4 for sure. I'm not sure about SG6. SG6. Yeah, and, and if you look at some of Jim Geary's uh, stuff, he does some pokes so and uses a, a different um, uh, different mode for doing graphics and, and stuff on, on some of his stuff. So... I it would depend on which game though, you know. To I couldn't give you a one off the top of my head. If you got any questions, you might ask him how he did stuff. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, cool, cool. I well, I, I don't know that you'll be able to port games as fast as Tim, but <laughs> <laughs> no, he's our software Cylon. Ed Ed Snyder's our hardware Cylon. Jim Gary's our software Cylon. So I'm, get, I'm getting yeah. close though. Yeah. No, they're neat. You got some neat projects that you're working on there, so that's cool. And it's nice to see the MC10 getting some love from somebody other than Jim Gary too. The fact it gets love at all is nice, but now that we have at least two people showing it love, that's <laughs> three, three good games. Yeah, I, James different definitely using it. Yeah, true, true. So good stuff, good stuff. And hey, my fr we, I, one of my friends from um, Egypt is here. So Armed War, who who became a friend watching me play Tomb Raider. Yeah, we're not playing Tomb Raider right now, though. This is we're talking about uh, retro com, uh, computers at the time. All right. Well, how about we do this though? It is it's probably good enough time to take a break. I'm not sure if Ron needs to pee yet or not, but we'll just uh, give him a chance just in case. Um, okay. So we're going to take a commercial break, and we're going to take a potty break, and we'll be back with more Coco Talk after these words. See you in a little bit, everybody. Change your adult Hi, this is Dale designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to <laughs> Coco Talk. What's going on, everybody? Stevie Stroh, and I want to say thank you for continuing to watch and listen to Coco Talk. We love doing this show. We think we put together a pretty good show for you, but this show could be better with your help. So if you would like to send a feedback, a comment, a suggestion, a show topic, or maybe even your own little segment or bumper, then send it to us via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. This show would be nothing without you. Love to hear from you.
It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. Oh, I remember that Christmas. Dad gave me my first shortwave radio from Radio Shack. What memories. This Christmas, we got our son's Color Computer 3 from Radio Shack. It hooks right up to our TV and was on sale for less than $130. The Color Computer 3 makes learning fun. Jimmy even lets me use it for word processing. When he isn't playing computer games. Lucky I still got my shortwave. Save $70 on the sale-priced Color Computer 3, only at Radio Shack. We now return you to Colcol Talk. And we're back. After a word from our sponsors. And hopefully we still got our shortwaves out there. Was that was that MC10 uh, bumper in- intentional after the MC10? <laughs> that was just good timing. <laughs> Perfect timing. Um, good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed looking at those uh, image conversions that he was posting in the MC10 group. So I'm glad we were able to represent the MC10 a little bit this week on the show. Thank you, Robert, for, for doing that. And... Uh, Here's another post now that went on Facebook this week, but uh, Kevin Becker says, I finally got a floppy drive for my Coco. And this is a pretty nice little setup. He's got a lot of accoutrements here, including Rick Adams' um, Omnistar game running here in the background, which I noticed. But we've got the Coco 3. We've got the deluxe joystick. Looks like he's got an LED under the hood here, so I'm not sure if that's coming from the 2-meg board or some other custom mod. We got a cassette deck back here. This looks like the NES Classic or possibly a Raspberry Pi case. This is this the Mini MPR or is this the Mega? This is the Mega MPI because he's got three things plugged in. So he's got the Egg Snyder Mega MPI. So he's got a floppy controller, Coco SDC Polaris. We got their floppy drives over here. There's a bunch of stuff going on here. <laughs> the Tandy mouse. Yeah, the one-button um, mouse. One-button mouse. I got that thing. It thing weighs like a freaking brick, right? So Black Beauty, I mean, you got a little bit of everything for your Coco setup here. That's a, that's a nice looking setup there. A nice little wood, I think that's wood, little cubbies back there holding everything up. So this is probably, maybe he's got the switcheroo running here too, because that looks like a flat panel display. So a nice fusion of old and new, right? So um, good stuff there. So, uh, finally got a floppy drive. I guess that was the only thing that Coco 3 was missing because it has just about everything else on it, huh? All right. Um, Roger Taylor, who was here earlier, too, in the live chat, right? Coco Tower. So, for those of you not familiar with Roger Taylor, uh, Curtis, tell us some of the past of Roger Taylor because I'm more familiar with the present. Curtis? Oh, he's oh, he's saying, hold on. Okay, so okay. I know I know one of the things that Roger Taylor did. He okay, did a sorry, game called still going off there, so. Oh yeah, Spider Spider Cider or Spider Hyper and Spider Sides. So there was a couple of games Roger Taylor made, but what else has he done in the in the past? Oh, games? Oh, he, he or just the, just in general. Did, um, Spider Hype, Spider Hyper, Mary and the Butterflies, Pilietti. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, the Jewel Jewel uh, game with digitized music playground or playing in the background. Um, he's done a lot of stuff. So, so Roger Taylor has done a lot of stuff in the past for the Coco. He also has, um, he has the Phoenix IDE, which is a development environment, and he's been working on a couple different hardware projects. Uh, one of the ones was originally called the Matchbox Coco, 
which mm-hmm. is later on be, are originally called the Cocoa on a Chip that get renamed to the Matchbox Cocoa. Yeah, and then, and the, then Mister, the new so. one is the one that's called Mr. Cocoa, which is based on the Mist platform. So he's been working on a couple of Cocoa alternatives and, and other things. And so he posted uh, a couple of days ago that 2019 begins and I'm picking back up on several Cocoa projects that have been on hold during the holidays. And uh, now he's looking for the inside of an FD-502 case. Um, but I think the takeaway from this is, is hopefully, uh, for those of you who are familiar with his work and he's been working on a lot of projects, hopefully we'll get some updates on some of these projects like the Matchbox Coco and the Mr. Coco and stuff like that. So um, that that is a hold, hardware alternative to a real Coco, much like um, Gary Coco Becker's Coco FPGA. It is a Coco 3 alternative that's based on um, newer hardware, so it's a hardware-based emulator with lots of other features. You know, advanced graphics modes. They run at higher speeds. You know, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so I'm looking forward to what Roger Taylor might be uh, providing us in the future. And they are officially supported with EOU now too. Uh, the Coco FPGA. I think Michael's doing the ports for that. There's Mikey, yeah. yeah, Mikey, and Bill's doing the ports for the uh, Roger Taylor stuff. So there's actually okay. EOU platforms okay because the main thing there is really just a display driver for the most part and maybe a hardware hard drive descriptor yeah, or something simulated hard drive floppy stuff too i think it's a little bit different so okay both keeping those sports so once i release the official coco 3 sdc ones then within a week or two they usually do the okay perfect perfect he's also our coco tv guy that's right yep. he does the coco tv channel on roku now um pear has been doing a lot of work uh, porting games from uh, the ZX Spectrum to the Dragon and Coco with I think the, we're up this... to 16 games now. Is that right? Yeah. And so these things here look really good. This one is called... Um, can I make it any bigger? That's what she said. Um, uh, but this one's called Nixie, the Glade Sprite. This kind of looks like a side-scrolling platformer. I'm not sure how to, how to zoom in on these pictures on their uh, Dragon Forum site. We got another one called Ooze. These are definitely monochrome looking, you know, one bit graphics games, but they look really good. Again, looks kind of like a side scrolling platformer. This one looks like a kind of a semi 3D maze, almost like the uh, Marble Madness style game here. Um, that looks pretty cool. This one looks ooh, kind of scary. Ooh, what the hell is that? I don't know. Oh, that kind of reminds me of Fang Man a little bit there with the bricks yeah. and the faces and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of cool. Uh, here's another one. A submarine. Um, man, there's this and space junk. Wow, that sounds like a Nick Morenti's title. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like his tile editor. Yes. <laughs> Scrolling rubbish. Um, so that looks, that kind of looks like Time Bandit-ish there. That's kind of cool looking. Space is Specky Pong from the Spectrum, right? So we got Specky Pong, right? So uh, you know what you guys know what Pong is, right? So that's cool looking. The Incredible Shrinking Professor. Uh, I have no idea what's going on with this, but this almost looks like maybe a, a like a Dr. Mario style game or something. I'm not sure. Um, man, so they're, they're just cranking, them out, there. cranking they're, they're, out the hits. The uh, the nice thing about that tool is is once you've uh, ported the underlying code that it uses the library. Um, it, it's very easy to port stuff across, and since the Sinclair Spectrum is the primary machine it was designed for, its main graphics mode is 256 by 192. So the resolution's 
pixel perfect yeah. for us. Right. It has a different additional color attributes, which the, the Coco doesn't have, but you, it, you just drop those off and you've got a monochrome image. Yeah. Uh, this uh, on my screen is a uh, composite um, version of those programs. And a, okay. you color from the, from know. the fonts. Yeah. Yeah. Do you okay. actually have the game up and running and you want to just demonstrate it a little bit for us? Uh, no, I don't, I don't. I couldn't. I don't have a camera holder. <laughs> That's what your hand's for. It would be too hard. <laughs> well, your just just enough on. to just play it for like 10 seconds just to uh, show what it looks like. No, you'll have to get it. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, um, you know, for those of us who are wanting new software for the Coco. We've shown you some stuff from Ken Reichert and Diego. There's people working on stuff. Um, and then there's all these Spectrum games that are coming out, right? So well, that, How many how many uh, arcade game designers did does, uh, games did they say they'd already done? A couple hundred? Mm. 170, I think, was the last I heard. I don't know. Right. I don't know, but yes. I need to get, I need to get on this Dragon Archive. So far out of them. So, so they ported 16 out of the 150 that are available. 170, I think it was. The 170. Point. Hmm. Right. And so right now, done. yeah, so this is this is being focused on the Dragon, which is a monochromatic machine because they don't do artifact colors over there. Um, but if somebody could take this and, and do a Coco 3 version and get a four-color version of this, um, you know, and just not strip out the color attributes of this. So this probably could be converted to have Coco 3 versions of this with more color. Could, um, yeah. I would imagine. Well, and, and some of the earlier ones, people went and redid the graphics in uh, P mode three, three, or you know, so you can end up with a better looking uh, game anyway. Okay. So this is from the World of Dragon Archive. World of Dragon dot org. So make sure you check that out. This project is exciting, and, and a lot of new stuff coming. Yeah. From there. And they've got download links for both Dragon and Coco for the actual binaries to play these so that okay. your machine you can get the downloads for. Okay, so I'll be looking forward to that. Um, now, I, I thought before I fully um, talked about this, this is the latest Glenside Color Computer newsletter, but listening to the Coco Crew podcast just kind of reminded me of, um, you know, where we have kind of re re sprung as a community right and so my experience with the coco community goes back about a good three years 2015 ish uh going on four years now right and so when i first started learning about the coco community you know i was doing youtube videos and i met a handful of people by leaving comments curtis was one of them alan huffman was one rogelio was another one there was a handful of people that were actively commenting on some of my videos and I started realizing that there was more than just me who knew about this. I think one of the first things I found was the Google Plus group for the color computer, which I don't think was terribly active three years ago, and I'm sure it's a lot less active now. But that was a resource. Um, and then found out about the Coco mailing list, found out about the Boise and Bill LeJudas book, the color computer underdog book, found out about the Facebook group. And, um, you know, you kind of found out that there were people that were out there and it was kind of interesting. And it seemed like right around 2015 was this kind of 
to use a Marvel or you know superhero movie franchise type thing was kind of like a reboot, right? Like almost like a community reboot. Like the community had been out there for a while, but maybe the interest had kind of tapered off, and then all of a sudden we got this this rebirth and this reboot of of the Coco community. Um, and so these pieces were all out there, but they weren't really connected, right? There was it was the Facebook group. There was all these things, and to me, I think one of those kind of solidifying factors was the Coco Crew podcast, right? Which is going on four years now because that became the thing we could listen to that tied everything together and also started to validate um, what was going on. Like if, you know, if you were working on a project and you got your name mentioned on the Coco Crew podcast, it was kind of like a pat on the back, right? And so obviously I don't think Jim Gary has missed a month in the past four years of, of his projects getting mentioned. And Simon Jonasson was mentioned very um, prominently, especially in some of the earlier episodes. But, you know, the Coco Crew podcast started off to get people interested in Coco Fest because Coco Fest was, you know, the attendance was maybe dwindling, right? But not only did it promote Coco Fest, but I think it really helped promote the community and, you know, just kind of validate that things are going on and people are, are doing things. And I think that's been like this snowball effect where, People are getting recognized for their work. They're getting a pat on the back, and that inspires them to want to do more work, which inspires more people to do things. And I think it's just been this gradual explosion that has shown no signs of slowing down, right? Um, Cocoa Fest attendance has increased year after year, the past three years in a row that I've been there. Um, the Cocoa Crew download numbers have, have increased you know, year after year. The size of our Facebook group has grown um, you know, the size of the people who listen to our show and, and view our show there, you know, everything has kind of happened. But I think to me, the thing that kickstarted that was, you know, Coco Fest was a passion of John Linville's, which started the Coco crew, which I think has really given us all this kind of second wind. And, and I think that enthusiasm has continued to grow since then. So I wanted to start off by saying we, I really want to make sure people realize if you aren't aware of that, you know, kind of what inspired me and what I think has inspired a lot of us in the community was the Coco Crew podcast and Coco Fest have been the inspiration for this show, for me personally. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, I, I gave my salutes to, to Glenside and to Coco Crew for doing that. So I'm done with that now. Um, but before we move on, does anybody else have any thoughts about that? How you, what your experience, especially those of you who've been around longer than me what your experiences have been prior to four years ago to how things are now. And if, if I'm kind of hitting the mark here with my, my assessment of how we've grown this way. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, on, uh, over on it, I've been trying to promote the, uh, Coco over on Atari age, you know, posting different things, um, for quite some time. And you know, there, there wasn't much interest, uh, when I started doing it. And then people started seeing some of the cool stuff that were, people were doing. And now I see, oh, I just got a cocoa. And, <laughs> and you know, and they, and then they try the, and some of them, they try out the basic and, oh, this is really nice. And, and, and you know, stuff like that. You know, they, they, ad, they admit that the hardware, the graphics is a bit lacking on like the cocoa one and two, but, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, uh, they don't dismiss the machine quite like they used to. And, and uh, I, there's definitely a lot more people, you know, adding it to their collection or you, there's like a thread saying, you know, what machine were you surprised by? 
and uh, there's been a couple of people mentioned the cocoa. Mm-hmm. They weren't expecting something as nice as they got. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So it's interesting that you know the underdog machine is um, again. I don't because I'm not as active in some of the other communities. I I I don't know how many podcasts other systems get dedicated to a specific system. But the fact that the Coco has got two dedicated shows to it, and you know, there's probably there's, thirty hours of content on a monthly basis of <laughs> of media being produced. There's uh, there's ones for the C sixty four, Atari, and Apple mm-hmm. II stuff, but I don't think they they have an after dark. <laughs> <laughs> there's no co- positive compliment or not. But, uh, no uh, Commodore <laughs> after dark, huh? <laughs> So They're probably going, thank God. And- yeah, right. <laughs> but you know, we're doing a, we're doing a couple hours a week every week. We're doing two to four hours per week. Uh, so we're doing you know eight to sixteen hours a month plus the Cocoa Cruise doing you know sometimes four hours a month. So you're looking at twenty hours a month in Cocoa Media coverage. Um, I'm not sure that any other system gets that much media coverage. You know, and, um, and I think uh, I think. Uh, we've got more to cover in that amount of time these days. Yeah. 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 Um, like when, uh, when we started this show, I don't remember how long ago it's been now, a year and a half. It was really just starting off to say, Hey, we're excited about Coco Fest. Let's talk about our, you know, Christmas Eve, uh, pins and needles that we're all getting excited for Coco Fest. I never would have expected the show would have lasted now. We're in episode 90. You know, we have Coco Fest every week. We have Coco Fest, yeah. You know, and and there used to be that what they used to talk about, especially on the Coco Crew, is they talk about uh, Coco Fest blues, right? So because you only get you only get to get together once a year, but now even though we're not getting together in person, we are getting together at least once a week on this show, sometimes daily on Discord, yep. uh, not to mention um, you know Facebook and everything else. So I think we are a very tight community for those of us who are active in it. There's different levels of participation, right? There's oh. the casual ones and there's the hardcore guys who are on Discord till four in the morning. Oh yeah, the, um, well the Discord, you've got guys working on projects and they're uh, bouncing ideas off of each other. How, how do I do this and stuff? And it's- yeah. It's really kind of amazing what conversations are going on there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, <laughs> Rob Inman says there's no Grant's toilet microphone on the C64 show. So yeah. thank heaven, thanks guys. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> yeah, well, so um, it's a C64. It it's bad enough on its own, you know. Yeah. So forever. Um, like, how long has Kansas Fest been going on, Mark Overholzer? Do you know? Oh wow, it's been going on well as the way it is now, uh thirty years. It was okay. originally an Apple it was originally an Apple event, a developers event. Okay. Not, I thought that started back in the nineties. Uh yeah, it started back in the nineties, I think. Well, maybe mm-hmm. late eighties. Okay. Well, it's kinda like us with Rainbow Fest, Coco Fest, because that's been a continuous yeah. stream of shows since nineteen eighty three. So Yeah. yeah. So and it, and it dropped down a lot. I mean there was only just a few people, thirty people or something, some of them, but you know, they've had it every year. But the fact Coco Fest, what what year is this going to be? This is going to be the 29th annual? 20th, 20, 28th, 28th, 28th annual. And that's Lash. continuing from the Rainbow Fest. That yeah, year. yeah. The fact that, that the Glenside Color Computer Club has kept it together this long, and they've kept this event together this long, and with some modern exposure, we've been able to grow this event 
you know, year after year. Um, this is our definitely our annual retreat, our, our, our migrations. And so for those of you who aren't aware, you know, you can get this newsletter. And this newsletter, is it monthly or quarterly? I'm not even sure. Quarterly now. Quarterly now. But I thought this month was, was really just jam-packed worth of content. And so here we can see the officers, current officers. So we, we now I'm sure we're all aware that John W. Linville is the president now. Tony Pedraza is vice president. Richard Blair, um, Brian Goers, and John Mark Mobley are our primary officers there. Um, and uh, there's a lot of contributions, but this was brought up on the Coco Crew podcast too, that you know, the, all this discussion of a rainbow magazine, if people want to contribute things, if you want to write a small article, this is another great uh, idea. Just submit something to... Um, um, uh, to Glenside, it, just even a small article it doesn't have to be super big. But you know, um, this having more people contribute to this magazine would be great. Another thing I would suggest is, and by the way, if you've ever been to Cocoa Fest, you're a member. You're already a member of the Glenside Color Computer Club. You should be getting invitations to join the monthly meetings, but you can do virtually via Blue Jeans. Um, but participate. Let your voice be heard um, because they are taking this input. Like we were able to get. And things like PayPal and credit cards last year, which was an improvement. So, um, you know, if there are things that you have suggestions that could improve things, make your voice heard, but you can only do that by, by speaking up, right? So um, this was, um, this, now, now this, this president's platen is something that Tony Pedraza has been doing for a while. And so this was basically Tony passing the torch and then John Linville did his first president's plot, and I think it's his first one from here. And I read this one, and I actually thought this was a great article that John wrote. I'm not going to get into all of it, but it really talks about his history and his commitment to Cocoa Fest. It's been since like 2001 he's been going to Cocoa Fest, so probably outside of the local Chicago people, I'm not sure how many out-of-state people have been to like 18 you know, 18 out of 19 Cocoa Fests. You know, I'm not sure how many people have actually done that, but that's definitely a commitment. So, so John's commitment to that club and to this event are definitely out there. Um, then there are certain things here that to me aren't as interesting, but talking about how they want to do their officers and their board of directors and how they want to change their bylaws. I'm not that interested in that, but I say it's part of the club, right? So you're going to hear that in some of the meetings. You're going to see some of that in the newsletters. Um, but we do now they're going to start talking about um, how to how to register for Cocoa Fest, what to do. They did cover Tandy Assembly. This is the, what the form is going to be like and the link to get the form. If you want to be uh, if you want a booth, if you want an extra table, if you want a vendor pass, a place to call home is now where you can get like a short, a smaller table. It's not a vendor table, but it's a place to park your supplies. Right. Register for your dinners and stuff. So this is the form you can get if you want to register for Cocoa Fest. There's a link to that there. Um, and then they're reviewing Tandy Assembly. Uh, Stuart Chiffet was here, which was, and here's John Mark Mobley talking about Tandy Assembly, right? So uh, some of the things they saw there. So this was kind of nice to see uh, just a review um, in kind of, uh, you know, non-video form here. So we've got some Coco 3s. We've got all kinds of systems here. So I think we did a pretty good job of covering Tandy Assembly with our attendees. But it's good to see that there's just lots of great photos in here, too. Um, some of the hardware projects going on. I love that Dino Wars banner there. Tandy Model 200. You name it. So uh, I just thought this was... Here's Jason Reichert and Grant Leedy. Uh, as seen on the internet, uh, both were featured in the newsletter. There's Tony Pedraza. There's Sandy Weimer. Uh, just, uh, all kinds of stuff going on here. 
Um, here's Ian Maverick from Australia. He's one of the few Australians who can actually, you know, <laughs> get out of the country. So um, Peter Bartlett of Bartlett Labs is there. There's Ron Klein and Brett Gordon. So yeah, here's here's Eric Canales, a clean cut Eric Canales. So I thought this was a jam-packed episode. So definitely check it out. There is a link to it. Here's uh, Salvador Garcia's Coco Fusion uh, picture there. So uh, it's a good newsletter. There's a lot of stuff in here. And I definitely, you know, uh, make sure you support Glenside by uh, making your voice heard, by attending the club meetings. Um, read the newsletters. And if you're thinking about writing an article, you, you know, I know Mark, I don't know, Mark Overholz, if you want to give us an update on what you've been doing with the Rainbow Revival. But I would say this is another good outlet. Uh, for people to consider contributing some of their thoughts to, you know? Actually, nothing this week, but uh, I need okay. to get on all those people that have committed to submit something and work on my own couple of Yeah, and then um, <clears throat> we'll get together on uh, content for artwork if you want. Okay. Oh, are you talking to Mark? You talking to Mark Overholzer? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, a part of it's going to be, well, we've got the cover, of course, but whatever people submit, what they might need yeah. support with, since probably most of them are not artists like you, Ron. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think we ne we definitely need to remind everybody that, you know, Glenside is definitely an important part of the history of the color computer. The fact that they've been keeping this Cocoa Fest going, and Cocoa Fest was kind of the impetus of this show. Sometimes we've, 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 the show has gone on so long, and we go on so far after this Coco Fest is behind us that sometimes we forget that that's what brought us all together. Coco Fest is what started the Coco Crew and is what started this show. So, you know, Coco Fest is what it's all about. And, and that's thanks to Glenside. So I want to make sure I acknowledge that and saying my praise. And I'll shut up now, let you guys give your two cents worth. I agree. Is that worth two cents? There you go. Yeah, it's about a cent and a half, but yeah, Canadian conversion. Oh. So, Canada doesn't make pennies anymore. It was said well. Yeah. There you go. And I got to meet Ron Delvo at yeah. Coco Fest. So make the trek. That's the mission right there. That's it. Yeah. That's it. The internet's own Grant Leedy is there. Yeah. Uh, Jason the Coco Man Reichert is there. So you know you got some big some big name celebrities. So. <laughs> and it's only a weekend you know can you imagine if we had a seven day like a, like k-fest can you imagine a seven day coco fest i don't know no. i think i think i die for lack of sleep <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey their uh their first show was uh 89 by the way coco fest uh no kansas, kansas fest. fest oh kansas fest okay yeah about 30 years <laughs> yeah that's that's a that's a pretty good streak, right? I mean, think about it. How how hard is it to keep any type of momentum anywhere with anything? You know, you get TV series that can't last this long. You've got, you know, um, so the fact that things like K Fest have have lasted for almost thirty years. That we're going on twenty eight years of the Coco Fest. Um, you know, it's impressive that people have been able to keep the the interest alive. Because it's so easy to, to lose interest and to kind of lose focus and the things can fizzle and fade, right? So, yeah. And this um, year's upcoming Cocoa Fest, if you include the Rainbow Fest that, you know, have always been in Chicago. And then it just, you know, the next year after Rainbow quit doing it, Glenside took over and just ran it as Cocoa Fest. This will be the 36th in a row. Wow. 
I had this uh, dream uh, a while back about um, uh, for, I'd been thinking about what would cause <laughs> us not to be able to have our computers and continue to do what we do. Then I was thinking um, what it would be like if for some reason the ROMs started dropping out, they didn't have, they weren't able to um, work anymore. And then we had a big issue with wanting to have ROMs put back in and not have uh, the ability to do that because they're not, you know, released or whatever. And the, I just wondered, um, you know, what kind of a thing would that be if, uh, could that like, happen? Like or, the EMP? Yeah. Yeah. Only, you know, let's say, you know, all of us all at the same time within a year or so, all our ROMs started not working, you know, her head dropping. Dying a bit rot. Yeah, something. You know, maybe that's a good story for. Uh, like, I'm uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure they'd have a very difficult time controlling the ROMs. It'd have to be a very strong EMP, huh? Yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, if you're burning out the ROMs and not burning out the CPU, that's that's kind of magic. Hey, well, I just I just got a BMP from Robert of me on the MC10 now. So yeah, there it is. <laughs> 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 oh man that is too funny that's it's me that's that, that's that's defcon uh zero when i've <laughs> when i've completely nuked myself <laughs> oh my god um thanks for sending that over sure. so what so what would it take to nuke the cocoa to force us to have to do something else is that the question Ron? no it was just a thought you know on um the only way I could think of not being able to use your computer would be as if uh, we had problems with the ROMs of some kind and we couldn't run the computers anymore. Basically, I mean, like a bit rot. Yeah, yeah or, or a bit you know, rot or something. Huh? Uh, do we know how long um, read-only memory will last? I mean, masked ROMs should last for maybe a century. Century, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're from what I'm saying, the masked ROMs are just like CPUs and other electronics, you know. So you're saying that the ROM can potentially like evaporate, for lack of a better term, where it's just information just seeps out of it? Yeah, we ROM breaks down. Hmm. An EMP would be the worst thing, wouldn't it? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, uh, I have a friend. He thinks that there's going to be a solar flare. I kind of forget what they call it, like an X eight or ten or something like that. A Carrington event type thing. Yeah, and that's the dreaded thing. If you're if the planet's facing that side towards the sun. Uh, it's going to fry all the electronics on that side, at least the ones that don't have. Uh, some of them are shielded, but yeah, because it would fry satellites, it would fry the electrical grid, all kinds yeah. of stuff. Wow, politicians do that anyway. I, I spent several hundred dollars putting uh, tin foil around my house, so <laughs> probably, probably help. Uh, have you seen back. people that have done that to their attics? Put tin foil in and then put the Oh, insulation, like insulation. in before the insulation, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. no, but hey, listen, it's worth a shot, right? <laughs> Maybe tinfoil, I mean, a little bit of lead lining, too, to prevent uh, x-rays or something else. So. Yeah. Make sure you're uh, underground, too, in a bunker. Yeah. With canned food. And a can opener, and that's and important. Your, all your microwaves, if they go bad, your microwave that you use to cook food is a Faraday cage. So you can just put your cocoa in there and bury it. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. That's good to know. In a pinch, it'll, right? It'll be more valuable when you have to take it back out. It'll be the only working one. 
Right. Well, they, they would there keep won't it. be an electrical grid to run it off of, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You would keep, keep the dirt off of it, keep it sealed and stuff like that, too. So that would be good. Well, if only David Ladd were here, because Mikey sent us a little uh, suggestion in Discord. He says, I double dog dare one of you guys to try to translate this floppy talk into English. But I have a link for this, but here's the article. It's called Preserving a Floppy Disk with a Logic Analyzer in Serial Cable. So this covers two of David Ladd's favorite topics, Serial, RS-232, ESP, uh, TTL, DriveWire, and floppies, right? So... Uh, interesting write-up. Uh, I can't even begin to pretend to know what they're talking about here, but there's, at least there's pictures. I like pictures, right? So, and they're <laughs> color-coded. So this is telling us somehow how we could use an analyzer to figure out where the tracks begin and end on, on the, the floppy disk. It's getting pretty in-depth. So maybe, uh, it, 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 this is the entire article though, so it's, possibly able to be read by somebody who speaks this language so maybe we can get david ladd to check on this and get back to us and give us uh you know his uh, expert consultation report on this but if you're interested in this kind of stuff preserving a floppy disk with a logic analyzer and a serial cable uh thank you mikey for posting this new suggestion for us the link is in the description to this video um one, your one mileage may vary might prove useful to like back in the day we used to use the cat weasel hardware board to be able to copy copy protected floppies for some of the games okay. that not have broken. This I think would work the same way and you might be able to make some backups of copy protected disks. So some of the ones we've got corrupted images for or hacked versions that don't quite, you know, display properly. Mm -hmm. This might be a way to get around it and make this uh, heck a large magnet would fix this. <laughs> <laughs> or a solar flare, right? <laughs> All I need is a solar flare there. So so the link to this is in the description of this video. Uh, feel free to read this, and hopefully your head will not explode. Um, it might go bald like David's, because I think that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that explains now, a lot. Now, I have not had a chance to watch these yet, but I think, um, they, I think John Linville is experimenting with ways to create a video version of the podcast and he's looking for people's feedback on what to do. I haven't, again, I have not really had a chance to watch it. I guess they're including uh, the visual show notes and possibly like a waveform pattern so you can see uh, what their voice sounds like, like they're talking. Although, I again, I haven't really watched it, so I, I can't really comment on what it's doing or what they're looking for. But I know John Linville has posted a few links to this, and he is um, looking for people's input on this. Um, well, he had mentioned that... Uh he wanted to do something graphic or something. Somebody mentioned that he should put the uh, graphic analyzer, you know, the spectrum. Oh, audio analyzer. spectrum analyzer. I see. And that, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah it'll be visual. Um, I, I think he'd be better off putting, uh, like, screenshots. And, that's what I, I suggested that to him, too. It's more work. And, and when, it's, when it's just the, the guys talking, put up a photo of the guys that are the hosts or a photo of the guest, if possible, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, stay away from the women. One one thing that might be interesting too is because I know they um, they use blue jeans to record it, so I think they're actually on a video call when they're recording the podcast. If they actually recorded that video and we could see the video version of the podcast, that might be interesting to watch too, just to see the faces of the people talking, you know, yeah. as a secondary uh, source. Now th this is almost going in the opposite direction 
of where we went, where, you know, we started as a video show only. And then, the, and, um, and so the question became, well, if we do a podcast, are we competing with ourselves? <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it's, it's such a funny concept to even think about uh, providing a free product as competition, right? So when you look at what the Coco crew is doing, they're providing a show, they're providing news, they're providing a resource, and they're not charging it. They're not charging anybody. They're not making any money. Um, we're kind of in the same boat. We're providing content. We're not charging for it. So it's really an we're odd thing. To, a dumpster fire. A dumpster fire, yes. Yeah. So it's really odd to think of what, e what either one of us is doing as, as necessarily competing with each other because we're not competing for dollars or anything. Um, you know, where's more like competition is like when you have like Cloud9 and uh, Voice and Tech. You know, if they have two different companies providing memory upgrades, well, yeah, somebody's going to get some money that somebody else is not going to get. We're not competing in that respect. But when you think about your own show, are you competing with yourself when you offer multiple versions of the same show? Is it is it a benefit? Is it become a distraction? I sometimes wonder, are we oversaturating, uh, you know, as it is right now? Because our show, we sometimes we have two shows in the same day. Um, then we've got the audio version and a video version, plus the original YouTube version. I mean, is there is it possible you got too much? <laughs> so um, I, I think I, that... I don't view them as competition. I view them as complimentary because depending on the circumstance of the person trying to listen and or watch the show, if mm -hmm. I'm driving my car, I can't watch the video. I can get arrested for distracted driving. Sure, sure, sure. So it, for me, you, you pick for that particular week whatever works best for you. If you can watch it live, that's great. If you watch as a video right. podcast afterwards, that's great. If it's and an audio podcast because you're driving. Yeah. And I think a lot of people use uh, their commute to work, whether they're on a bus or whatever, to listen to podcasts yep 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 um but so but so when when i started the podcast and just be full disclosure and be completely honest one of the reasons one of my original motivations behind starting the podcast was i just figured hey if i just took the show and i just threw it out there my selfish intention would be that somebody would hear that and say well what the hell are they talking about and they would turn into viewers i was hoping to find random listeners that would, you know, maybe randomly stumble across the show, listen to the show and say, man, I got to watch the show because I kind of viewed the show as more a video show and more, you know, live interactive type thing. So I just figured if I threw it out there, we might get some random people that might find us, might listen and might turn into a viewer. That was the only thought I first put into making a podcast. And by complete accident, it turned out it became a benefit to a lot of people who said, I, I can't. I can't watch it. I don't have the bandwidth. I don't have this. I don't have that. Well, a lot of the segments don't have any um, exactly yeah need, but yeah. there's you're you're demoing a game or something like that. I mean, look at Sockmaster's episode. Yeah. I mean, if you can't see what the the whole Donkey Kong Reloaded looks like, I mean that you're not going to follow anything that's going on in the discussion. Right. Even today, a lot of things we did were very visual. Um, you know, looking at pictures and looking at the uh, the, the bitmap conversions. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so I, I, I didn't expect there to be any benefit to us going audio. But it turned out it became uh, it became a thing that people really appreciated. And, um, and then that kind of just kind of augmented into the video podcast, too, which is now a second copy of what's already on YouTube. But again... Some people can download that to say bandwidth. So if you want to watch it and you don't want to stream it, there's that. 
Um, so now the Coco crew, we're trying to add some visual, because I know they've been asked in the past, would you guys ever do a video version of the show? And maybe now they're experimenting with that format, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I personally, think... what I'd like to see them do is on the stories when they're going through the news is just click on the web page of whatever story they're covering. Ah, on yes. Facebook or whatever. Just leave it up there while they're discussing it. Okay, there you go. And then just do it for each one. And then the round table, they can either put pictures of themselves or they can you know, use the Blue Jeans recording. Yeah, I yeah. I have a few screenshots for Neil's Game Corner because I, I don't think audio really does games justice. Right. Unless you're playing Simon or something. But like but uh, what I will say, though, uh, yeah, I do agree that if you want to see a game, you know, a video is the best way to do that. However, Neil does a great job with his game reviews explaining them. Yeah, so, no, I definitely do. I'm not dissing Neil's presentation. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. If he had a screenshot. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But but by not having the by not having a visual aid to to get his message across, I think he does a very descriptive job on conveying Agreed. what he you know, he explains the games well, he explains what he likes about them, and then he will often play some sound samples too, especially if they have voice or music. Ultimately I think it goes back to the the saying a picture makes a thousand words. Yeah. You instantly can see what someone's talking about rather than spending twenty minutes talking about. It. Right, 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 right. Um, but so they they are throwing up some different versions of of the show in video format, and this uh, this format may change over time. If you guys, if people out there watching or listening have some suggestions, make sure you hit up the Coco Crew. Let them know. Um, I think we've offered a few good suggestions here, like either pictures of the of the link, like if you're if you're talking about an article on a website, show that website. Um, PowerPoints would be helpful, showing people talking when you can, and maybe showing pictures of the games. That those might be awesome things you could add to it. Um, yeah, I think part of the the issue that John has been doing for doing his little you know tries at various things here is that he wants to do something that's a bit more visually engaging in case you download the video podcast, but doesn't take them a hell of a lot of time to have to add to the show. Oh, yeah, because if you right. have to, if it becomes a second project, then yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. You don't want to have to do a lot of video editing. And if you're doing still images, it doesn't take as much bandwidth. Yeah. True. True. Okay. So they're going to offer this as a video podcast too? Or just on YouTube? I'm not sure on that. Okay. I think right now it's still the experimenting stage. Just to get yeah. Feedback. See what yeah, think. listen, there's, there's no wrong way to provide the content. People are going to consume it in the way that best suits them. And to give people choices is the best thing you can do, right? So, um, and on a second note, also from uh, John W. Linville, I, I've kind of fast forwarded it to the best part of this video here. But for those of you who are not familiar, you know, that John has made the Sega joypad adapter, which is a way to not only connect Atari joysticks, but to connect the Sega um, Sega Genesis controllers and potentially access three to six buttons and start buttons and all kinds of stuff. This started off as a Coco 3 project, but according to what he's showing here in his demo, this could potentially work for Coco 2s as well, or actually what he's showing on the demo here is, is, is this working on a Coco 2. So I'll just back it up just a hair here. Um, and what you're going to see here... Joypad test program running. There we go. And uh, so here I'm going to be using these buttons. And of course, you know, like you say, the direction stuff all works like you'd expect. You know, whatever. Up, down, left, but right. Going back to the first controller. That is TDP 100. A, yeah. B, wait a minute, C, 
and start. How is that possible? So he just showed four buttons being red on a Coco 1 and 2 that only has a pin for one button, right? So it was only the Coco 3 that gave us two buttons. He's showing us four button input on a Coco 1 and 2. So that's the new enhancement from whatever he's changed in the box, right? So um, so just kind of giving you spoiler alert, that's that's what he's got going on here. But I think that's pretty cool. There's only right? one joystick button line on the joystick controller port. And not only can I access two buttons, I can actually access all four. Well, the four is, is the same trick that I used on the Coco 3 by being able to select using the uh, serial port output. I wonder how what I'm using for the serial port. Uh, sorry, I wonder what I'm using for the extra button inputs. Does it work on the other controller? Well, let's see. I'm going to have to stick to the A, B, and C buttons here, but indeed, A, B, see and start so I'm not sure all what sorcery is involved there but I'm sure it has something to do with the serial port right because that's part of what's feeding into that uh, but the good news is is it looks like the next version of this product will work on a Cocoa 1 and 2 with multiple buttons so if somebody wanted to make a game with you know three buttons and a start button that options out there so not only is it a digital analog converter to use an arcade style stick, but it also gives you more button capability. Um, I think that's pretty cool. Yep. So that link is there. I believe there's a link to this in the um, in in the description of this video as well. So I think that was one of the last things. That was a late entry this morning as I was gathering all my all my news articles. So um, I don't know if there's anything I missed. Or was anything you guys wanted to also throw any comments on? But uh, I think we've covered a lot. And we're going on three hours already. Yeah, Nick already had to leave us. Oh, that's right. We had a core dump. Why didn't he say something? He he did in chat. Why didn't I see it? Why didn't it's I see it? Zoom. So we're gonna do a flash for him anyway. <laughs> zoom chat. Uh, Nick Morenti's got to go, guys. Three hours is my limit before I get back to chores. Oh, shoot. I didn't see that before. He should have spoke up. I'm not always watching that. All right. Well, we're going to have to save that. Maybe we can get him later on tonight. Maybe that's a reason to have an after dark. Um, yeah, right, gun so, star update. Yeah, yeah. We want to see the... Uh, now, did somebody else say they had something they were going to add to the core dump? I don't recall. I don't think so. I think it was basically just going to cover his tile editor and his little overlay the score on the scroll routine, but hopefully we can cover that in After Dark. Okay. Hey. with Paul Barton. Paul Barton. Happy New Year, Paul. <laughs> He's not expecting. Hey, there we go. Yeah. There you go. Are you competing with Ron Delvaux for the Timberman look? Yeah. Uh, I had cut off about two inches. <laughs> you got you got the flannel you got the flannel going on in the beard there so you got oh, the full yeah. the full oh, lumberjack yeah. look going yep yep all right but i'm still wearing sandals <laughs> <laughs> cool it's what's new and really exciting with you yet. paul what's that so what's new and exciting with you uh, i sold one of my ide controller boards neat neat uh, did you mention too you got both drives working Oh yeah, yeah. I had to use my old drive driver that I wrote back in 1998, something like that. 
and it works fine. Oh, so it wasn't even a hardware thing? No, ha. Huh? It was hmm. the super driver, apparently, with the low-level IDE driver wouldn't allow two drives. Hmm. So maybe it was set up for the super IDE card and not necessarily what I have. Mine's a copy of the Glenn side. <clears throat> yeah, and that one definitely supported two drives back in the day because I used it. Yeah. And it works. So. Neat. Neat. And I know David Ladd would be happy to get a couple of hard drives going on top of everything else. <laughs> they want four of those cards for four slots in the Super MPI there. So. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like somebody is sending me a couple of broken floppy drives and see if I can repair them uh -huh. to keep. <laughs> wow. Oh, uh, Al Hartman says you're, you're working on a one terabyte RAM board for the Cocoa 3. Is that true? Uh, no, but my idea was to go up to 128, but... 128 megabytes? Uh, yeah. Wait, that no, not megabytes. Uh, could go. Oh, yeah, 128 uh, megabytes. Wow. Yeah. But I ran out of the room to plug everything in. Oh. Hey, Chet Simpson's here. Maybe, maybe Chet can answer Ron Delvaux's question, because we started off our news showing off your VCC implementation of the Game Master cartridge. Oh, yeah, yeah. And how how do we add that to VCC? Because Ron Ron's dying to know. Um, it's just the same as any of the other DLLs. You go into the uh, into the cartridge menu, and okay. depending on whether or not you have uh, an MPI enabled or not, um, typically I'll have the MPI enabled. You go to MPI slot one, and then you select insert, and then you just go to wherever the DLL is and click on double click on that. And that's it. Okay. Okay. That was my guess. Um, okay. Have you done that before, Ron? Have you actually gone into yeah. the MPI slots on the VCC? Yeah, I've done that before. Yeah. Uh, I um, haven't done that with this yet. Is that available? Where is it at? Uh, there's a link on Facebook, which links to his GitHub. So if okay. you look for if that video that I showed earlier, if you can find that on Facebook, you, there's a link in the description of that video. Great. And there's yeah. a zip file in there that includes the uh, DLL as well as a sample ROM. Cool. Hey, Chet, have you talked to the guy who's doing the uh, cross-platform version of uh, VCC called OVO? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, I, I haven't talked to to anybody about any of the the, the versions that are going on yet. Uh, Walter is name. Walter's in Bob. Walter. Yeah. yeah. He has a beta release of uh, uh, VCC for Linux. Hmm. But what you're doing right now, this DLL architecture, that's probably going to be transportable because it's already working between the two versions, right? The 1.4 and the 2.01. Yeah, I mean, you just so. need to rebuild it. They just need to rebuild it, create a project and rebuild it on, on the uh, on the target platforms. So I need to take a look and see what uh, what build system they're using um, for that. I mean, if they're using something like CMake, then it's pretty trivial for me to add it in, test it, and then submit a patch to them. Um, but if it's something that's more Linux-centric, then it'll, it'll, I'll just send them a, a, the source code and say, hey, here you go. Yeah. Now, it sounded kind of interesting. So what were you doing? You had, like, basically a SID player that was using that sound chip to play, like, SID-style music or, you know? Yeah, there's a uh, SID emulation library for uh, for the GMC cartridge that's that was floating around in GitHub. And uh, John pointed me over to it and I pulled that down and was able to get... Uh, Get a ROM image of it and get it. Uh, it, it included in the testing. I've, I've got maybe five or six ROMs, uh, you know, that, that support the card that I've been testing with. Okay. Uh, 
So, and, and I mean, and really the, 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 the code that I've got in there right now, as far as like, you know, the playing and the emulation that actually came from, uh, from MAME. Um, I just had to update it to make to change in the, uh, in the architecture for how to access it and, and sample the data. So I'm going to do the same thing for the AY chips as well as the OPM uh, uh, that's in the, in the Mega Mini. It's, I, I just don't know when I'm going to be able to get to it. No, that's neat. So we're basically all these new sound solutions are going to be able to be emulated so you can test, develop for it without necessarily having it. Right, right. And the next, the, the next chip I'll do will be the AY3 uh, 89 12, which is the one that's in the um, Symphony 12 and the Philharmonic, and I'll, I'll get four of those um, added in there at, at the uh, at the slots, and, and that should actually cover uh, the speech and sound characters, which has the 8913 uh, in it, as well as the um, Coco PSG, which has the uh, YM2149. Those those are all uh, uh, equivalents to each other, hmm. or variations of, of the 8910. Okay, neat. So this is obviously probably going to help you in some of your future endeavors, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is. I mean, this gets me a, a you know an emulated environment where I can actually you know test the sound and and you know, I've already got stuff that's that's up and running in Digger. Um, to that you know I've got background music, I've got a couple of sound effects, and then I've got another uh, project up on my GitHub called uh, um, Snevin Tracker. It's a it's a branch that originated with Fama Tracker. Um, so, and I may actually go back over the Fama Tracker because the, the, the format that I've got includes support for things like uh, PCM channels. So not only do you have the, you've got the three tone channels on a chip, you've got the noise channel on the chip, and then you've got the, you know, one, two, three, um, or even four uh, PCM channels that are run off of the Coco DAC. So you've got all of that mixed in and things like the, the NES and the, and the, the, uh, the Game Boy have, uh, you know, PCM channels. So when you yeah. hear like, you know, the, the, the richer, um, you know, drums, uh, mm -hmm. And the percussion line—that's that's usually where that's coming from. So I want to be able to include that, or at least support that, um, you know, in, in the player. So I've, I've got a whole format um, that that you know supports all of that, all of the different um, the, the chips that are available on the Coco. Um, I haven't gotten in support for things like Surround. That's that's a little bit of a different model because that's an external sound source. So I'm not really sure, sure what I'm going to do with that yet. But uh, you know, certainly something will be can, can be done to, to to help support that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of projects out there for that I've, I've collected for um, you know authoring and, and playback and all that. So now it's uh, you know matter of getting all the code to work together. Yeah, that's so, cool. So the next couple of years are going to be pretty cool for sound and graphics on the game. Yeah, I'm really looking right now. I'm looking for um, versions of Lyra and Musica that um, are updated to support the Symphony 12, so that I can get some of that stuff tested. Because I'd really like to get some of the demos that uh, and the, the demo tracks that that were on Lyra playing on that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That's cool. That's great. That's some groundbreaking work right there. That going to help you and hopefully help others too who are trying to get off the pot, right? So it's time to get off the pot and start making some sound, right? Yeah, and, and really that's that's kind of the hardest part is I mean cuz you know you you got to be you have to be able to author the stuff in the first place. You want to be able to test it. And then you've got, also got to be able to run it. Not everybody is, is developing on a Coco. Um, you know, some are doing cross development like myself and then there you know are some that uh, that are developing on the Coco. So you know, I've, I've uh, you know, I've kind of queried a few people to see if you know they're working on like editors or, or anything like that. And unfortunately there's there's not a whole lot of that going on at the moment. So hopefully this will kickstart some of that you know getting some of the uh, the content out there because i mean like the one thing that i'm working on right now is the vgm player i don't know if you're familiar with vgm files um they're, they're basically video game music files and what they do is they just record uh all of the values that are being sent to the chip mm. 
and then they include you know timing and information. So you can just play it back. You don't have to apply um, any uh, any effects or anything. All of that done is is all of that is done ahead of time. So you just you're, you're just basically blasting the, these values to the chip. So you know that for a game is very very good. But it's, at the same time, that type of a file is not uh, really good for editing. In fact, it's really exclusively for for playback. You can't really edit anything and there's no note information or, or, or instrument information or any of that. Could you make it go up and down though in volume? Sure. So you could include it in a game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you've got, uh, yeah, there's, um, you know, you've got your different uh, properties for the instruments, such as, you know, your arpeggio, your, uh, and your volume control. And then if it's a noise channel, you've got your, your, your noise, uh, you know, macros for that. And then you've got additional effects um, like vibrato and all that, which come down uh, through the authoring, uh, you know, just like you would any other, uh, any type of a mod, uh, mod type of environment. That's neat. That'll be cool. Uh, no, that was cool to see, and uh, I, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to hearing some new Coco music in games, or just even in just demos. I'd be happy just to listen to, you know, like like Orchestra '90 type files, or like you saying like the Lyra stuff or the Musica mm -hmm. stuff, but just hear it on better chips. Just better music coming out of the Coco is something I'm looking forward to. Yeah, and the so. great thing about you know Musica and there is they're. Uh, they're, they've been updated to actually support it. I mean, and they supported it back in the day. So, uh, mm. you know, that type of a music, particularly with the the, the similarities between the you know the AY uh, variants and the SN chip, you know, you right there that covers all but one of, of the the sound sources that, that you have available on the Coco, and that it's all going to you know come together pretty pretty quickly for those chips. Hmm. Neat. Neat. Good stuff. Looking forward to hearing it. Yeah. Hey, Paul Barton, Jason Downs is asking, are you selling any more IDE boards? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> was that a, was that an answer or a question? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I have to get some more of these chips and they come from Israel. Ah. So it takes a while to get the chips. Wow. Do you have any currently for sale? Uh, I've got some parts coming in, so I have one, but it's not completed yet. So that's a and definite maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And the fellow that bought one, he wants another one, and he said his friend wants two. Wow. So he told a friend, and he told two friends, and so <laughs> on. <laughs> Word of mouth average. Uh, yeah. It'll be huh. a bugger getting these parts, because they're made out of unobtainium, and Unobtainium, huh? That sounds like something well, like uh, Captain America's oh, shield yeah. made of. So, yeah. Well, they're 5-volt <laughs> only parts. They're not the newer 3-volt parts. Uh, aren't there but, other 5-volt parts still available, though, that you could make it yeah, work with? Yeah, I can get the uh, TQFP size, so they're real small. And those are available. I just have to redo the board. And that would make it even smaller, which is ridiculous. Wow. I mean, it's already, it's already pretty small. Here's the size. There's my hand. Wow. <laughs> yeah, compared to the Glen side one, which was like you know, this tall. Yeah. And most of this is just dead space. So. So, is, what's the best way for people to like stay in touch with you to check for the status? And this is ping you on Facebook once in a while. Yeah, Facebook or use my email. And what's that? If you want to make that public. Yeah, it's Paul T. 
barton.1944 at gmail. All right. You got that, Jason? Or maybe he'll, he'll see it later. But yeah, paultbarton.1944 yeah. at gmail.com. Right. Um, <clears throat> neat, 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 neat. Well, this is our first show of the new year. How do we do today, boys and girls? We do okay? Pretty good. Was it a yeah. dumpster fire? <laughs> yeah, but the flames weren't quite as high as I was yeah. expecting. Good. There weren't there weren't too many bodily movements or fluids secreting or anything like that. So no. I think we think we did okay. Um, yeah. All right. Well, have we have we beat this one to death? Three and a half hours. Is that enough torment for yeah. for one show? Just very little heartbeat left. Yeah. So why don't we yeah. if we can if we can get a hold of Nick Morenti's later on. If you guys see him in Discord, let me know. And if we can get him back on, I would like to see his update. Before we uh, go, I would uh, like to, I had mentioned that I got a Cocoa 3 for free earlier in the show. And for the people that didn't see my post on Facebook, um, some of the Cocoa community got together to replace the one I had burned up in my house fire a few years ago. And uh, that was Paul Piscarelli, Richard Lorbieski were the the main people that did that. And uh, they... They basically uh, put together, well, uh, Paul had picked up those machines that we had the unboxing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. And, was an episode, and he provided the uh, machine, and uh, I guess he he paid uh, Richard to do the upgrades and or whatever for the uh, his uh, boomerang and socketed the ROM and socketed the... Uh, CPU and put a 6309 in it and the whole nine yards. So, all right, you have full, is, uh, is yours boomeranged and everything? It is the whole nine yards. 6309. Wow, and it looks like it was never used. The wow, so are you kind of excited? <laughs> you know, um, well, I kind of it was it was kind of supposed to be a surprise, but I was suspicious due to uh. Uh, a couple things and uh but he richard came up with a plausible story um and i wasn't <laughs> sure to uh, he was sending me something he wanted me to do some testing on a something for the mc10 or whatever and uh i wasn't sure if i was going to be getting a new coco 3 or if i was going to be getting a an eprom burner to do <laughs> do some <laughs> testing but when I saw the box, I knew what it was, and uh, I did have a big smile on my face. I'll say that. That's nice. Cool. Nice. And the community well, came together. Very nice. It was very nice of them to do that. So, All right. I have to go. Bye, guys. All right, Ron. Later, Ron. Okay, yeah. bye. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Ron Delvo. Yep. All right. Well, we are, uh, we are wrapping this train wreck up, this dumpster fire of a show for one day, but perhaps we'll have another one tonight. You just never know. I want to thank everybody who's still left on the panel, including Ron Delvo, who just left, and L. Curtis Boyle, Mark D. Overholzer, Paul T. Barton. A lot of people with these middle initials or just extra initials in their name. Mark Bosley, Jason Reichard, the Coco Man, Robert Sieg, and James Diffendaffer, and Chet Simpson. And earlier we had Nick Morentes. Where are you at now? Where are you at, Jason? I'm I'm at, uh, I'm at Pinball Game Room. Pinball game room. Look at that. Our foreign core. Hey, Grant Leedy's just here. He's just back. Did you? 
Yeah, I think they have a real Donkey Kong remix game in there. So I'm gonna oh, neat, neat. Grant, you're just in time for the show to be over. Do you need to pee yeah. by any chance? Oh, I just pissed a while ago. Okay, huh? good. <laughs> <laughs> Get I it all out. I should have recorded it for you. I should have recorded it for you. You should have. We can put it on the soundboard. Whenever Grant's not here, we can just <laughs> do a pee drop when on, on, on demand. Um, in the live chat, Nick Marota was out there. So was Al Hartman and Paul Fiscarelli and Mark Overholzer and Ken Reichert and Nick Marota and Nick Marota and Al Hartman and Tim Franklin and Trina Kay was out there in the live chat. And I mentioned Nick Marota. Robert Sieg was out there. Jason Downs was there. Nick Marota, Curtis Boyle, Ken Reichert. Bill Noble was in the live chat. Rob Inman has been around for quite some time. Um, Richard Lorbieski was here and was on the show earlier as well. Uh, Paul uh, Coco Tower, Roger Taylor was out there. Nick Marota, Tim Franklin, Richard Lorbieski. Lots of people in the live chat today. Uh, we're at 31 viewers right now. Thank you all for hanging out with us this entire time. Uh, Mark Overholzer, Rob Inman um jason downs uh the list goes on adam coolich has been out here in the live chat uh D jason downs and arm noir was here and um tim franklin lots of people roger Al Hartman. taylor was here Coco Ro yeah roger taylor curtis boyle was here nick marota was here grant leedy was here um, here grant leedy is here unfortunately <laughs> um so Screw you, Stevie. hey grant look in your rear view mirror <laughs> <laughs> I'm a lot of P and tape. I think they're coming after you. Mark, Mark Bosley, Robert Sieg, Chet Simpson, James Diffendaffer, Jason Riker, Grant Leedy, L. Curtis Boyle, Mark Overholzer, and myself, uh, OG Stevie Stroh. We wish you all a very happy 2019. This is the year of Coco awesomeness, the year of Coco music and sound and graphics and games and hardware and software and cats and dogs living in harmony mass hysteria you name it it's gonna happen we might even get some crossover coco apple commodore games going you just never know um we're bringing uh, we're bringing the universe together as one so we're going to begin phase one of the signing off of the show with the first part of our coco talk outro and we'll be back after this for more pontification don't go anywhere this concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, Click on the Patreon link on our site at cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Morentes, Ron Delvaux, Rick Adams, Jason Reichert, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Karen Anscombe, Simon Jonason, and many, many more. Special thanks to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and to Brian Joyce, Ken Reichert, and Rob Inman for all of their bonus content and contributions, as well as Roger Taylor for getting us on the Coco TV channel on Roku. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its contributors. The Coco Crew Podcast at CocoCrew.org. Glenside Color Computer Club, host of Coco Fest at GlensideCCC.com. Jim Brain and Retro Innovations at Go, the number four, Retro.com. Tandy Assembly at TandyAssembly.com. 
Voison Technologies at voisontech.com. Get your own switcheroo and wallaby cable at cocoman.biz. Cloud9 Technologies at cloud9tech.com. Coco Talk is hosted by Steve Strobridge, co-hosts, technical directors, segment hosts, and producers, Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Grant Leedy, Mark Overholzer, Ron Delvaux, and Jason Reichert. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. And Jason the Coco Man's playing a real Donkey Kong remix machine right now. Well, I don't know if I call it playing it, but I did start it up. How big is that screen? It looks kind of small in the video, but maybe it's just because the cabinet's so big. Yeah, I think yeah, it is kind of. Um, yeah, it's hard to say. The lighting's kind of different in here, but it it seems about normal, like just like the uh, Popeye machine next. To okay. It, or the Donkey Kong Junior. Okay. Or the other Donkey Kong, or the another Donkey Kong. Oh, Pauline edition. I've never seen that one before. Oh, it's probably another kind of semi-hack. Although the colors are off there. Donkey Kong, Paul. I've never seen that one. I haven't either. Pauline. I wonder if this is official or if this is kind of like a, you know, aftermarket. I would think it'd be aftermarket, kind of like socks. Is. Yeah. Yeah, this is just that. You got regular Donkey Kong. Yeah. And, uh, well, there's Donkey Kong Jr. Yeah. And, uh, DK Remix. And then, uh, yeah. we have the, uh, the Sailor Popeye. Man knockoff, Popeye. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Captain. That's the one with uh, Big Fat Guy eating hamburger, right? Yes. Right. Uh, and then there's, uh, I think there's a Fix It Felix. Fix It Felix. Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it <laughs> is. But uh, yeah, I just got here, but that, I thought that was pretty cool. I found the uh, the uh, remix machine. It was uh, yeah, it's neat to see right Sockmaster's uh, product out there in you know on real hardware. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm gonna give that a check that out. And uh, oh, there's a Eugene the Jeep on top. Actually, Eugene the Jeep on top of the Popeye. Ah, there he is. Donkey Kong, cool. And this is close to home for you. Yeah, this is near Pittsburgh. It's called Pinball PA. Okay. Yeah. So, relatively close. Neat. Neat. All kinds of pinball. They have 400, 400 games here. And they said if there's an 80s video game, arcade game, we probably have it. Joust Robotron. Yeah. Neat. And it's these are the originals. These aren't like MAME cabinets or anything, right? Right, right. This is, uh, these, these look all, these look all original to me. It's, uh, yeah. Neat. 
That's uh, heaven. Yeah, that's 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 no, that's go. heaven. Stargate. Yeah. yeah. It's taking me back to my youth. I wish I had a place like this near me. 